it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's business time, baby. The Solo Monster sounds off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Conquered the street. We like fighting a woman. Oh my God, we're only an hour in. We have two more hours of this. Come over here and fight me. Fight me. You haven't been beat up properly. Woo! <laughs> I just got done watching Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi beat the Gorillas of Destiny to win the IWGP Tag Team titles on night two of the New Japan Road Tour. And this uh, coronavirus outbreak is wreaking havoc on uh, Japan as well, not just uh, China. More so with stardom than it is New Japan right now. Stardom has had to cancel a lot of shows, and there was one show coming up there, March 8th show, at Corican Hall will take place with no fans in attendance. It will be an empty arena show that's going to air live for all to see on their YouTube channel Saturday, March 7th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time here uh, stateside. That could be fun. That could be a fun show to watch. That'd be unique. I've seen empty arena matches. I've not seen empty arena shows. But uh, New Japan is not canceling any of their shows, at least not yet. Only their uh, talent meet and greets have been canceled and They're saying that if you feel sick, make sure you stay home. Do not go out. If you get sick in the middle of the show, I mean, what do they think this is? Monday Night Raw? But if you get sick in the middle of the show, they advise people to immediately leave and go home. Otherwise, uh, people are being asked to wear surgical masks when they attend any of their shows. Thoroughly wash their hands. They've got some uh, big events coming up, too, which I guess is why they don't want to cancel any of them. They have their 48th anniversary show coming up. And uh believe that's March 3rd. And then the New Japan Cup begins, which is one of the big annual events in New Japan. If you remember on the prediction show uh, early last month, I had Sonata as my pick to win the New Japan Cup. And then ultimately he falls short of winning the IWGP title. So we'll, we'll see if my prediction comes true. This is episode 640. Of the Solomonster sounds off here for Sunday, February 23rd, 2020. I am the Solomonster. Big night of TV tonight. Boy, I'm all amped up. No wrestling. No wrestling for a change. 8 p.m. Oh, actually, I take that back. 8 p.m. is the... (laughs) I just lied to everybody. 8 p.m. is the premiere of the new Broken Skull Sessions on the WWE Network. They have Steve Austin interviewing The Big Show. He's already interviewed The Big Show on the network before. But this is a new one. But I don't mind, because Big Show I, Big Show's always a good interview. I've seen a lot of Big Show interviews. He did one with Chris Van Vliet a few years ago. Every time I see a Big Show interview, and he he just opens up about his career and his life and stuff, I always I find him uh, an interesting interview. So that should be good. Uh, I assume Bret Hart must be the next one, because I already know Steve Austin's wrapped up a, an interview with Bret. I figured that would be the next one, so... I'm sure that's coming up soon. Anyway, that premieres at 8 p.m. on the network tonight. The mid-season premiere of The Walking Dead. 
at 9 p.m. Yes, I still watch The Walking Dead. Don't mock me. If I can stick with Raw, I can stick with The Walking Dead. 10 p.m. is the season 5 premiere of Better Call Saul. So all you Breaking Bad fans out there have been watching the uh, the spinoff here. That's uh, back to... It's been a long time. I feel like it's been two years, probably, since uh, the, from season 4 to now. So that premieres tonight. And I just finished... Uh, well, well, Curb Your Enthusiasm on HBO as well. Another good one. But I just finished Narcos Mexico. Narcos Mexico. Season 2 on Netflix. I may have given myself lung cancer by watching it. But it's a fantastic show. So if you're into that sort of thing, definitely check that out. A lot of good TV. I was never like... (laughs) I feel like in like recent years, there's not that much TV outside of wrestling that I've really paid attention to. And now, with Netflix and all this other stuff, it's just been this whole explosion. It's not enough hours in the day. A lot of good TV out there. The uh, Sound Off is sponsored by Audible. When you sign up for your free trial at audibletrial.com slash solomonster and grab your one free audio book, you help out the podcast and uh, you can download titles, listen to them offline, anywhere, and you can be on on the go. You can be traveling, you can be at the gym, you can listen to them anywhere you want. Just download the free Audible app and you can listen across devices, you don't have to lose your spot. Thousands of titles to choose from. Just go sign up right now. It's free for 30 days with the trial. AudibleTrial.com slash Solomonster. And you can get your one free audio book. You're going to hear me later on reference uh, Hardcore Holly. And that's one book of many wrestling books available on Audible. In fact, if you go on the YouTube channel a number of years ago, probably like six years ago, I did a review, a full review of The Hardcore Truth, which was Bob Holly's book, a uh, brutally honest book, and I even interviewed him here on the podcast. That's even better. You can listen to the review and then go listen to the interview I did with him. But anyway, that's that's one book on there, and uh, any book you want, you can get it for free with our link. Uh, I want to give a shout out to all of the folks who donated via PayPal this week. You guys are the VIPs of the Sound Off. You can always go on the Solomonster.com. You'll see the PayPal button on the right hand side of the page. Ten dollars or more will get you a nickname and a shout out. Thank you to the Portland pop star Paul Hamilton, Deadpool James Herrera, John Loose Cannon Lopez, Out of Control Cody Thomas, Killshot Keith Hart, Stephen Handyman Hallistick, the Chicago Slayer Willie Eichert, Velvet Revolver Robert Murray, the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine Harrison Soap, Jared Dark Knight Mysterio, and uh, thank you Jared, I am live again, I am live again on YouTube, so thanks for looking out. Body Snatcher, Eddie Harobi, Georgia Bulldog, Terrence Hickman, and No Nickname Required, Joshua Garrett. Well, that makes my life a lot easier. It's the best nickname anybody's ever submitted. Uh, Wilfredo, Pandemonium Flores, still has a giveaway going on on his Instagram page. giving away a $100 Jax WWE title belt. Just head over to his Instagram, at David Porkchop is his handle. You have to sub to him, find the post on there with the belt, and like it, then tag two people, and leave a line or two about why you want the belt. Be as creative as you want. Submissions are open through March 1st. And uh, Frosty on uh, iTunes, Frosty131313. Thank you for the the kind review on iTunes. I appreciate that. One of our listeners, uh, Glenn, 
has a sister who is a stay-at-home mom to her three boys who recently started her own YouTube channel. It's focused mostly on toddlers and raising kids, uh, all the things that uh, I certainly stay away from. But I know we've got some parents of young ones who listen to this show. Uh, and I joke. I mean, I, I actually went and watched the, her uh, her first video. It's actually well done for somebody who just started a YouTube channel. Uh, and for somebody here who has his own YouTube channel. It actually, uh, I was very impressed. So I know we have people who are parents who listen to this show. A lot of you have bought copies, for example, of uh, my mom's children's book, The Adventure of Hardy the Horse. Glenn did as well. So you may find her video to be of great interest or uh, entertainment, if nothing else. Just type in her name on YouTube to find the channel. It's Marissa Jonason, J-O-N-A-S-S-O-N. And uh, Shayna Baszler may not care about your kids, but Marissa does. So give her YouTube channel a look. WWE presents Sweet Saudi Money 5, Dead or Alive, this Thursday at noon Eastern on the WWE Network from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, I will have live coverage on YouTube.com slash TheSolomonster when the show ends. Uh, we have uh, Mansoor has confirmed that he will be having a match on the show. He just doesn't know yet who it will be against. You know, They dust him off every uh, few months for one of these shows. Let's do predictions here. Run down the rest of the card real quick. We have the first ever Tuake Trophy Gauntlet match. Tuake, I believe, is in reference from what I from what I uh, researched here. Because so I was curious, what what is this in reference to? Is it in reference to a person? Is it in reference to a place? I can't rely on WWE to bother to tell us. Tuake, I believe, is in reference to a long sort of cliff uh, that runs through the region. And Riyadh is right in the middle of it. So I believe that's where the name comes from. Anyway, the gauntlet will feature AJ Styles back in action. R-Truth, Rusev, Rowan, Lashley, and Andrade back from his suspension. I think this comes down... I'm going to say this comes down... I've waffled between Styles and Truth or Styles and Rusev. I think it comes down to Styles and Rusev with AJ winning. So AJ is my pick. We've got Murphy and the Monday Night Messiah working on a Thursday, defending their Raw Tag Team titles against the Street Profits. Murphy and the Messiah just won them, so they're not losing those titles so fast. It's my mission, by the way, to not say the person's actual name, since uh, this is what they want him to be referred to as. I will not say his name on this podcast anymore. I want to see how many weeks, how many months I can get through. Without saying this uh, person's name. He is the Monday Night Messiah, after all. We have the New Day defending their SmackDown Tag Team titles against The Miz and John Morrison. Uh, I say there will be a title change here. Unlike the Raw Tag Team title match, I do think we get a title change here. Miz and Morrison come away with the belts. And then they'll probably just have a rematch next month at the Elimination Chamber. Bailey. Defends her SmackDown Women's Championship, being defended for the first time ever in Saudi Arabia against Naomi, who beat Carmella on Friday night for this opportunity. It's not time yet. I don't think you do the title change here. It's not time yet. You save it for WrestleMania. If Sasha Banks is not wrestling, and I, I would, my expectation is that she's going to be back on TV and probably back in the ring very soon. Uh, if it were me, I'd do Sasha Bailey at WrestleMania. I prefer that over Bailey and Naomi. But if you're not going to do Sasha and Bailey, then I would 
save the title chain for WrestleMania and have Naomi win the championship there. So here you could do a, a screwy finish or Bailey cheats to win and then save the rematch. So either way, I think Bailey is walking away with this. We've got Roman Reigns against King Corbin inside of a steel cage. Uh, Roman Reigns wins, although part of me hopes that the crown prince orders a top uh, to be placed on the cage so that when it's over, you got the door padlock shut, they can't get out. And we never again have to sit through a Roman Reigns-Baron Corbin match. Brock Lesnar defends the WWE Championship against Ricochet. <laughs> yes, this is going to be quite the exhibition here. You ever watch a cat play, I put play in quotes, play with a bird? Then the cat, it doesn't usually end well for the bird. Then the cat picks the dead bird up in its mouth and sort of carries it to its owner like a trophy. That's basically what I expect this to be. Lesnar throws him around. Ricochet, he's he's very fast, so he gets a little bit of offense in. Uh, Lesnar can't totally ground him. And then out of nowhere, F5, 1, 2, 3. Thanks for playing, Ricochet. That's pretty much, I just mapped out how the match is going to go. So, Brock Lesnar retains. And then we have Goldberg challenging The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, for the Universal Championship that he once held three years ago before losing it to Brock Lesnar. Now, there was a report on the Cage Side Seats website that claimed, we're not done with the stupid red light yet. And they claimed that the Royal Rumble, if you remember the, the strap match at the Rumble, they kept the lights on for Brian and The Fiend. And everyone rejoiced and said, finally, we have rid ourselves of the dumb red light. Yeah, you know, I thought the only reason maybe they were keeping the light around is it was going to be part of his character, so it's it's part of his power. They can't take the light away from him, just like you can't take the mask off, right? But then he wrestled without the light, so it's like, well, there's no there's no reason for the light anymore. But according to Cage Side Seats, the light's coming back, possibly on this show. So we may not be done with the dumb red light that nobody likes. Nobody important anyway. <laughs> nobody in WWE does. Seth Rollins crapped on it. I've heard uh, one or two other wrestlers crap on it. Get rid of the stupid light. But on SmackDown, Goldberg came out. He was interrupted by Bray in one of his Funhouse segments. And Goldberg got introduced to all of Bray's puppet friends and said, there's one more person who's dying to meet Goldberg. And Tony Khan turned the lights out. And when they came back on, The Fiend was standing in the ring behind Goldberg. Goldberg speared him, and he was getting ready for a second spear when the lights went out again, and when they came on, the Fiend was gone. So they basically gave us the entire match here, right? It's kind of what happened here. Uh, I don't expect the actual match to be much longer than this, uh, but they had to make Goldberg look strong because I think he's losing on Thursday. I'm picking the Fiend to win. I think the Fiend has to win. I think he should win. I think he will win. And they've built this guy out for far too long here. We're this close to WrestleMania. You can't take the championship away from him now. So I think the Fiend retains. So I think Bray will end up no-selling the spear uh, or no-selling the jackhammer. And puts down Goldberg to retain the title. And the shorter this match is kept, the better off it'll be. I don't expect the match to be any good. But the shorter it is, the better off it'll be. But... Some late breaking news here. There have been changes, according to 
Meltzer over at the Observer that have been made to the WrestleMania card on the SmackDown side. Just saw this before I started recording this morning. Apparently the SmackDown side of things is just an absolute dumpster fire. Creatively speaking, I mean, we're, we're what are we, we're five weeks away from WrestleMania? Five weeks, less than six weeks away from their biggest show of the year. And they're making changes this late in the game. Only to the SmackDown side. It sounds like it's pretty much exclusively to the SmackDown side. It is a fucking disaster. Creatively right now. So it seems as though the Roman Reigns Fiend match that was rumored and the John Cena Elias match that was rumored may possibly be off the table now. Those matches may be completely changed among other SmackDown matches that they had planned for the pay-per-view as well. So for one example... Yeah, I mentioned Bailey and Naomi you know, a little bit before. They're going to have their championship match. And I personally would like to see Sasha be the one to get the match with Bailey at WrestleMania. But, you know, they could always do a screwy finish here and drag it out to Mania and maybe give Naomi a big win there. Well, that could be in jeopardy as well. Now, I hear changes to the SmackDown card. And apparently the match with Bailey and Naomi was originally earmarked for WrestleMania. And it got bumped up here to the Saudi show. So if the idea is we're going to blow this match off now and Sasha's going to be coming back and we're going to do something with her and Bailey, then I'm all in. I think that's the stronger championship match. I've been waiting for Bailey and Sasha to go one-on-one at a WrestleMania. So if we get that as the match, I'm cool with that. What I'm curious now is if, if in fact Cena and Elias is off the table, and I hope it is because Elias was over. On TV this week, the crowd's into him and all that. I'll give him that. But I cannot buy into, as things stand, a John Cena-Elias match at WrestleMania. You you only have John Cena for very select few opportunities. You've got to make the most of the matches that he's in. This could be the only match you have him for, for the rest of the year. He didn't wrestle a single pay-per-view match in all of 2019. You may not get very many more of them with him in 2020. Elias is not the person I would waste a John Cena match on at WrestleMania. That match didn't make sense from the moment that it was rumored a week or two ago. It sounded stupid. You know, the R-Truth idea that I pitched really was more out of this, this notion that if they don't have anything serious for John Cena, then fuck, do something with him and R-Truth. We saw R-Truth doing uh, John Cena spots again on TV on Monday night. Do that! But now plans apparently have changed. You know, Cena's going to be back on TV this Friday night, so we're going to find out real quick what direction they're going in now with him at WrestleMania. But it sounds like it may not be him and Elias after all. Plans may have changed. But what I find intriguing is if if plans have changed for Roman and The Fiend, if that was going to be the direction that they're going in, and if that's off the table, what does that mean? Does that mean Roman Reigns is not going to get a championship match? At WrestleMania? I mean, is that what that means? Does that mean that The Fiend might lose his title to Goldberg on Thursday in Saudi Arabia? How fucking stupid would that be? For as long as you've built up this Fiend character, he can't even make it to WrestleMania as the champion. Or might they do a championship match with John Cena, challenging for title number 17? And maybe the story going into it is, The Fiend, you know, he he has a WrestleMania loss. Bray Wyatt has a WrestleMania loss to John Cena that has gone unavenged. So he's out for revenge. He's looking to make up for that WrestleMania loss many years ago in New Orleans. On the flip side, you've got the obvious story about John Cena looking to break the record. Looking to break Ric Flair's record. Title number 17. 
And then that opens up Roman Reigns for a match against Goldberg. And you do Goldberg and Roman Reigns Battle of the Spears at WrestleMania? Yeah. Would they really bring in Goldberg to lose back-to-back pay-per-view matches if he's not going to go over on The Fiend and win the title? He's going to lose to Bray and then lose to Roman? I mean, I guess if you pay him enough money, maybe he'll do whatever you want him to do, but, I mean, you're kind of killing the guy's value by doing that. Not that I would mind. I mean, look, he should be putting other guys over. I just have a tough time seeing them doing that. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But could that be the new direction? Are we in for Cena and The Fiend and maybe Roman and Goldberg at WrestleMania? Do you think that makes for a stronger WrestleMania card? I I do think it probably, not even probably, it does. It does. From a match, like like a star quality perspective in terms of these matches, The Fiend, you know, challenging for the championship, that's more in tune with what John Cena should be doing at WrestleMania. Roman and Goldberg is an interesting one because you've got these two guys who are popular, these two big ex-football players who use the same move, two baby faces who have never wrestled before. I could see there being intrigue for that match as well. But from what I'm hearing, this whole card is just, like I said before, one big dumpster fire. It's inexcusable that you could be this close to WrestleMania and still be blowing up plans and not know what the fuck you're doing. This shit should have been mapped out months ago. The Raw side seems to have their shit together. We know Brock Lesnar is going to wrestle Drew McIntyre. We know it's going to be Becky Lynch and Shayna Baszler. We already know that. We don't even need that Elimination Chamber match. Undertaker and AJ, that's the that's the rumored match. Edge and Randy Orton seems obvious. So the Raw side seems to have their shit together. SmackDown, I can't say the same for. Cena's going to be on TV Friday night. We'll find out more then. Goldberg and The Fiend, they're going to have their match on Thursday. We'll know then. Who's going to be the champion coming into WrestleMania? There is a noon Eastern start on the WWE Network for the show on Thursday. When it's over, again, head over to YouTube. Head over to the YouTube channel. I will be going live. And you got to wait until you see some of these slides that I had Steve put together for me. This is going to be fun. Uh, I figure it's probably a three-hour show, right? These things are usually three, three and a half hours. So I'm guessing we'll probably be going live, give or take, around 3.30 or so in the afternoon on Thursday. So hopefully you guys will uh, join me wherever you may be. If you're at work, I'm sure you can, uh, you know, very discreetly log on to YouTube and uh, pop in those AirPods and listen to the sweet Saudi money live stream. Hope to see you all there. 
Speaking of the WWE Network, we got some more news in this week's Observer on the discussions of shifting some or all of the WWE pay-per-views off the network onto another platform. Now, no deal has been made yet, but there have been talks uh, between WWE and ESPN regarding content on their ESPN Plus service. I have to assume they've had conversations with a whole bunch of different platforms, probably Hulu and, and others as well. Uh, but the ESPN Plus one is very interesting. They are in talks with the mouse, is basically what that means. Disney and WWE potentially doing business together. We knew this day would come. WWE is said to have taken note of UFC's deal with ESPN Plus, which in this country, at least, you need to have a subscription to the service in order to access UFC pay-per-views. But the way it works is you pay a subscription fee for ESPN Plus, which is $4.99 a month, or for the year, basically it's $49.99 for the year. And on top of that, at least for the UFC pay-per-views, you would still pay full price for them. Now, I know they, they were their pay-per-views were $59.99. Uh, now they've reverted back to their old pay-per-view price of $64.99. Uh, I believe that started with the Conor McGregor fight last month. They're $5 more now. That's a lot of money that people are expected to shell out for these shows. Just like we had the big boxing pay-per-view last night, right? With Tyson Fury winning and... Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure we'll end up seeing him on WWE television soon after that, but I don't know what the price tag was for the pay-per-view, but I'm sure it was pretty steep. You know, for big events like that, for big uh, combat sports shows, I'm sure people are willing to plunk down however much money it is. Uh, but you got to ask yourself, you know, for a WWE event, even the biggest ones, are people if, if the if it was to work the same way. Would people be willing to spend that kind of money on WWE shows after spending 10 bucks for so many years? And in a lot of cases, people weren't even paying 10 bucks. People were getting it for free. People were constantly being comped and getting free trials over and over and over again to the network. There are people who have probably been watching all the shows and haven't paid a dime. I'm the schmuck that's been paying $9.99 from day one. <laughs> but that's the way it works for UFC shows on the service. Uh, the McGregor fight last month, that fight made Disney a lot of money. Because according to Bob, Bob Iger's the head of Disney, he gave an interview a few weeks ago and said that one fight, basically, that one show added half a million new subscribers to their service. You know, that pay-per-view itself did about a million buys, uh, which is actually low for a Conor McGregor fight. But ESPN Plus, they cleaned up. They picked up a ton of new subs out of that fight. And WWE feels that if they can make a similar deal for its shows, they'll make a lot more money off them uh, than they would, I guess, just selling them directly through their own network. And they're probably right. But if they reach a deal and it works similar to UFC, where WWE fans are paying $4.99 a month, let's say they are already paying $9.99 for the network. And I'm sure WWE doesn't want people to cancel. So they expect, all right, you're paying $9.99 for their network. Now you're going to pay $4.99 on top of that each month for ESPN Plus, which is 50 bucks for the year. And on top of that, let's say at least for like a WrestleMania, you would pay an additional 50 or 60 bucks. I mean, it's going to gut their own network. We already know that. But they're taking a gamble that financially this type of deal is going to pay off for them a lot more than just offering the shows for 10 bucks on their own network. But again, when you offer people something for such a low price for so long, 
a lot of those same people are not going to suddenly pay full price for these shows on top of a subscription fee for another service. Now, some people will. You know, I'll, I'd have to uh, because I, I need to review the shows. But a lot of people are simply not going to do it. They're going to throw their hands up in the air and say, the hell with this. I'm done. This is too much. Some people can't do it financially. Do people still feel that WWE pay-per-views are worth 50 or 60 bucks? I don't think they are. Not every month. You know, the big shows like Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, maybe SummerSlam, okay, maybe. But all 12 shows each month? Absolutely not. Now, if they reach a deal and all people have to pay is the extra subscriber fee, so all you're responsible for is the $4.99 each month, and they don't charge people full price for the shows on top of that, then that's that's much more palatable for people. And some people still won't do it. Some people would still say it's not worth it. But that's a, that's a lot easier of a pill to swallow, though. You know, so and all, all the people saying this is a great deal because it would force WWE to load up the shows and make them worthwhile. First of all. That's an admission that the shows they do now are not worthwhile, which is a really shitty thing. Second of all, it doesn't guarantee a damn thing. Load them up with what? I've heard people make this argument this week, and I I would love to hear them explain to me. Load them up with what? Load the shows up with what exactly? You still need stars, and you need compelling storylines. Are they suddenly going to pull these things out of their ass? Is that where they've been hiding all these years? If it's that easy, then why have why have they been holding back on us for so long and destroying their product? If they end up going with ESPN Plus, the ideal situation would be charging people full price, let's say, for the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania and SummerSlam, maybe Money in the Bank or Survivor Series. And just let people pay the subscriber fee for all the other shows, and that's it. Or, you leave those other shows. All the so-called B-shows, you leave those shows with the Saudi shows, with the NXT TakeOver shows. You leave all of those as exclusive to the WWE Network. Because you got to give people some reason to hang on to their network sub. Not everybody is subscribing just to watch old episodes of Primetime Wrestling and uh, Smoky Mountain, or whatever the hell they have up there. you got to give people a reason to stay. Otherwise, you're going to just end up with a mass exodus. The Bella Twins appeared on a moment of bliss on SmackDown Friday night and confirmed their WWE Hall of Fame induction, which was first reported by WrestleVotes on Twitter. Whoever WrestleVotes is, they did get one story wrong a few weeks ago when they insinuated that Samoa Joe was hit with a wellness suspension. Uh, That was incorrect. And he or she, whoever they are, whoever runs the account, apologized for the error. They owned up to their mistake. I respect that. Not everybody does that, but they do tend to get more right than they get wrong. And on the Bellas, they got this one right. We've now got two more unconfirmed names said to be... And if you want my thoughts on the Bellas, I got into that last week. The the whole video's up on the YouTube channel. I'm not getting into the Bellas stuff again. They're as deserving as any other name they've put into this Hall of Fame in recent years. So, again, go go back and listen to my thoughts on that. But we now have uh, two more 
unconfirmed name set to be part of the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2020. First is a name long overdue, that being the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. Bulldog as in singular, not plural. They are not inducting the Bulldogs as a team with Dynamite Kid, probably because they can't bring themselves to say Dynamite on television because Cody might crack a smile. You know they'd be petty like that. I mean, I'm only joking, but would you really be that surprised to find out that was the reason they're not inducting Dynamite Kid? His son Harry, Davy Boy Smith Jr., who's currently signed with MLW through the end of the year, uh, per the Observer, will be the one doing the induction. I don't know if he'll also be accepting on his father's behalf. I, I think Bret Hart would be a great inductor for Bulldog, and then, you know, Harry could do uh, the acceptance speech. Uh, unless Meltzer misspoke in the newsletter, but he seemed to indicate that Harry was going to be the one doing the induction. Uh, the Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation, I mean, they had some of the best WWE matches together in, in the uh, mid-'80s. You know, it's not an era that you think back when, if you're big on classic matches, work rates, and like Savage Steamboat WrestleMania 3. You had some of those in, in WWE, you know, in, in the late 80s. But it was really more built on personalities and, and characters and the Hogans and the Macho Mans and the Million Dollar Mans. But a lot of those, you know, the Madison Square Garden shows and a lot of the Boston Garden shows and live events, they were relying on teams like the Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation and the Killer Bees and the, and the Rougeos. To be the ones to go out there and really carry the load as far as having like a long 15, 20 plus minute quality match. Uh, sometimes they would end the night with them. They'd put someone like Hogan on in the middle of the show so that he can leave and get the hell out of there. Uh, and they would headline with these guys because they were going out there and knocking them out of the park night after night after night. So the Hart Foundation and the Bulldogs had some of the best WWE matches of that time period. And he... Came back, you know, he had left the company, and when the Bulldogs left, he came back as a single star. He pinned Bret Hart in the main event of SummerSlam, 1992, Wembley Stadium. Won the Intercontinental Championship in the biggest match of his career. And then he got caught using steroids or importing them. It, it may have been HGH. I'm fuzzy on all the uh, specific details, exactly what it was. But he and the Ultimate Warrior got fired right around the same time for the same reason. He went to WCW. His run there will be most remembered, I think, or at least to me. I will most remember his WCW run, <laughs> the first WCW run, for the mini-movie that he was part of, which Sting, to hype up their big uh, match against the evil duo of Sid Vicious and Big Van Vader at Beach Blast 93. This was the mini-movie they shot with Cheatham the Midget trying to blow up the boat with Sting on it. But the kids on the beach, they went over to Davey and they told Davey, you know, what was going on. And he saved Sting just in the nick of time. And then the boat blew up. These horrible effects. $100,000 WCW spent on this thing. The acting in, in that little mini movie makes Lana look like Meryl Streep. If you've never seen it before, you can go find it. But you're not going to be, uh, prepare, prepare to be amazed by what you see. So the Bulldog came back to WWE in 94. He was jacked as ever. I mean, he was gigantic when he came back. He formed a tag team with Lex Luger, the Allied Powers. That didn't really go anywhere. Uh, they turned him heel later that year, put him with Jim Cornette. He had a pay-per-view main event late in 95. 
with Diesel for the world title at one of the In Your House shows. That was so bad that I think it was Bruce Pritchard who said this. Vince McMahon, who was on commentary that night, threw his headset down in disgust when the show was over. As soon as they went off the air, he just threw it down in disgust and stormed off. Some guys just don't have good chemistry together. You know, there were other Diesel matches that were actually pretty good, like his match the following month at Survivor Series against Bret Hart when he dropped the championship. That might have been the best match the two of them had. You know, two months later, the Bulldog, he was back in the main event. He had another classic match against Bret. What's the common denominator here, by the way? Bret Hart, I'm just saying. But yeah, two months later, in your house, Hershey, Pennsylvania, Bulldog and Bret for the championship. I mean, that was a a bloodbath with Bret. Not as memorable as their Wembley match, but it was still an excellent match. The point is, sometimes you put two guys together who who independently, you know, they're they're talented and they can have good matches, but together it just doesn't work. So he won a third tag team championship the following year uh, with his brother-in-law, Owen. First two titles came with the Dynamite Kid. His third title came with Owen Hart. He became the first ever European champion when they introduced that title. They had a big tournament. Uh, That climaxed in Germany. They taped that match, aired it on Monday Night Raw. So, like, you think of it as a Raw match, right? But it really technically wasn't. It wasn't, I don't think it was a Monday Night Raw taping or anything, but they aired the match on Raw, and it was, as you would imagine, between Bulldog and Owen, it was a fantastic match. And he was part of the Hart Foundation faction in 97. He was part of that great 10-man tag at the uh, Canadian Stampede pay-per-view Which is very depressing now to go back and watch when you realize that four out of the five members of that team, the first four members of that team that walk out during the introductions are now all gone. All but, all but Bret Hart are dead. That's pretty depressing. Bulldog supposedly paid $150,000 of his own money out of his own pocket to buy himself out of his WWE contract after the screw job in Montreal so that he could jump over to WCW. Uh, with Brett, Owen wanted to go too. I mean, Owen wanted out as well. He wanted to join his uh, brother and his brother-in-law, but uh, Vince McMahon wouldn't let him leave. Wouldn't let him out of his contract. Perhaps things might have turned out differently if he had. But that WCW jump is really what led to, uh, I mean, Bulldog already had issues. He had drug problems uh, that have been well documented, but it really began this downward spiral when he got hurt on that trap door. Uh, the Warrior was going to be making this dramatic entrance. The Ultimate Warrior was coming to WCW. And they were teasing a match with Hulk Hogan. And on this uh, particular pay-per-view, it was Fall Brawl in 98, which you could find on the network. The Warrior was going to be making this dramatic entrance later in the show, using a trap door underneath the uh, ring mat. And in his match, I think uh, Bulldog was in a tag team match, I think, and, and Davey got slammed. He might have gotten slammed a couple of times onto the trap door and he got hurt real bad thing is though he kept wrestling for like another month some people think oh he got hurt and he was out no he he wrestled for another month so if he was hurt and and in his book bret hart says that davy had a bigger problem at the time he had a morphine addiction uh that was a bigger problem than anything else he says but if he did get hurt on that trap door he may have been so hopped up on pain meds or morphine or whatever it was that it just took that long for him to realize that something was wrong. 
And it wasn't until months later he ended up bedridden in a hospital. He was in a body cast. He was worried he might not live. Doctors were telling him even if he did live, he might be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And he ended up with a staph infection. He came very close to dying. I mean, it was really, it got very dire in that hospital for the Bulldog in 99. And while he was in the hospital is when he got the express mail envelope in the mail from WCW with his termination papers. That's very nice. Uh, he did recover. He came back to WWE later that year. Uh, this was the phase where he started wearing jeans for his matches. There, there was some talk that maybe he would get a run uh, with the WWF title. Uh, he really was no condition for that. And he ended up many months later being sent home. You know, And he really was a mess. He was a mess by that point. And WWE sent him home to get treatment. Two years later, he passed away. Age 39. Uh, he actually teamed with his son. He teamed with Harry for a few matches before he died. So those those would have been his final matches. I think Harry was only like 15 years old at the time. He got started very young. Uh, but those were the Bulldogs' final matches. So you, you, know, you kind of look at his career. He was part of an influential tag team. And, and some would argue maybe one of the best tag teams of that era. He headlined major pay-per-views. He was part of the top heel faction in the company. Uh, with multiple, you know, championships and, and all that. Uh, he was part of some legendary matches. So, there's no case to be made against the British Bulldog being in the Hall of Fame. The Bulldog is more than worthy of a Hall of Fame induction. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And a separate report from Wrestling Inc., which is not yet confirmed, claims that another Hall of Fame inductee on tap for this year is... JBL. John Bradshaw Layfield will also be inducted as part of this year's 2020 Hall of Fame class, which would make the class, as things stand, uh, with confirmed and unconfirmed names, as things stand. It looks like Batista, the NWO, the Bella Twins, JBL, Jushin Thunder Liger, and the British Bulldog. So that's the way the class looks so far. I'm sure they're not done. There's probably another one or two names. Uh, whatever my personal views are of the man, and I'm not his biggest fan, you can't say that JBL is not worthy of a Hall of Fame nod. You know, he, he started out with uh, the whole Justin Hawk Bradshaw gimmick, which was very much not Hall of Fame worthy, but you got to start somewhere. He started out Justin Hawk Bradshaw, he transitioned into one half of the new Blackjacks tag team. <laughs> I, some people may have uh, blocked that out of their memory. He never really had much in the way of major success. He really didn't. Until he got put together with Ron Simmons. 
And they were the acolytes. They were part of the ministry of darkness. They broke off from the ministry, or at least the, the ministry ended, and they kind of went off and became the APA. And that's when that's when he really uh, started to have some success, and he was, you know, an entertaining act. That clothesline from hell that he gave Shane McMahon at SummerSlam in 2000, when Shane interfered in the main event, actually 2000, is it 2000? No, 2001. SummerSlam 2001, when Shane interfered in the main event with Booker T and The Rock for the WCW title, and he's just being pesky and he's interfering, and here come the APA to chase him off. And Shane sees it, they're chasing him around the ring, or at least Ron Simmons is. But he don't see that around the bend on the other side of the ring, JBL's waiting for him. And as he comes running around, JBL catches him. He clotheslined the soul out of that kid. Oh, one of the greatest things I've ever seen, if you've never seen that spot before. So, in 2004, they needed to make a new star on SmackDown. So one day he shows up looking like J.R. Ewing. He's got John Bradshaw, Layfield, just a total makeover from what we remember him as when he was part of the APA. Like, it was an overnight character overhaul for this guy. And he was friends at the time with Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero was the WWE champion. And Eddie tried real hard to, you know, make him believable in the role and just do what he could to help get this guy over. And and they had that match at Judgment Day, that bloodbath where I thought Eddie was going to die. He lost so much blood. He he went into shock when the match was over. I think they took him to the hospital. The, the ring mat, when that pay-per-view, when that match was over, the ring mat looked like something out of a Saw movie when that match was over. And then the next month, I think that was the, was that the bull rope match, I believe? The next month, JBL won his first WWE championship. His first and only. And he went on to hold it for eight months. He became the longest reigning champion in SmackDown history. Uh, I don't know if he still is or not. That record might still hold up. But he held the title for 280 days before dropping it to John Cena, WrestleMania 21. And he did for John Cena what Eddie Guerrero one year earlier had done for him. You know, he put him over, he dropped the title to him, and that's what began Cena's rise as a headliner in WWE. You know, Cena had an I Quit match with JBL at Judgment Day in 05, very similar to the bloodbath that JBL had with Eddie Guerrero. I mean, Cena was covered in blood when the match was over. And, you know, they really... I, I always think back to the No Holds Barred match that Shawn Michaels had with Diesel the month after he beat Bret Hart at WrestleMania 12. You know, Shawn would come out, he was you know, dancing around, and he was doing these poses, and, you know, there were a lot of guys watching the product at the time who were like, who the hell is this guy? He's coming out, he's dancing like a, like a Chippendales dancer, he's got the, the earrings. He's a girly champion, this guy. And what did the company want to do? They wanted to toughen him up. You know, they wanted to put Shawn in some matches that he would come across as somebody who, hey, this guy can fight. This guy can brawl. So he had the match with Diesel. And then a few months later, he had the match with Mankind. And uh, I think they did a good job of of kind of toughening him up in, in the eyes of a lot of the fans. And Cena, I don't know if Cena needed that as much as Sean did back then. But, you know, <laughs> Cena wasn't coming out, you know, dancing around in some of the gear that uh, Sean used to. But, you know, he had to have some matches like that to kind of prove that he can hang in these different types of matches and and that thing was an absolute bloodbath and i think one of the the best 
matches of that uh, Cena era. And Cena would go on to have a lot of great matches after that. But his first truly great John Cena match was that Judgment Day match against JBL. The WrestleMania match, I don't remember as being anything special. I don't think it was that good. The Judgment Day match, the I Quit match, was an excellent match. And so he was also a United States champion with JBL. He was an Intercontinental champion. Uh, When he retired, he became an announcer. He left. Then he came back as an announcer again. And he was really good in the role. When he came back in 2011 or 2012, whatever it was, I remember thinking, oh, it's a breath of fresh air to have JBL back. He's really good in this role. But then he just became completely obnoxious. Total mouthpiece for Vince McMahon on commentary. He would bring down the shows. He wasn't obnoxious in a good, like, heel announcer way. He was actively making the shows worse. He got progressively worse as an announcer as time went on. He went from being maybe the best commentator in the company at the time to the worst. That's how far he fell. He's also credited with the idea of of, uh, starting the tribute to the troop shows that WWE still does each year. That was his brainchild. That was an idea that he suggested to Vince McMahon. And they again, they still do them today, although last year I think was the first time uh, that it didn't air on TV. But then there's another part to JBL's career that can't be ignored. And they won't bring this up at the Hall of Fame, but I'll bring it up. And that's the bullying and the hazing allegations that are part of his legacy too. And there have been a lot of stories over the years that involve a lot of different wrestlers, Edge and others, and things that happened in the showers that I'm not going to get into. And you could chalk some of that up to, oh, that's just, you know, that's just typical hazing. They do that in football locker rooms and all this kind of stuff. I don't know. Some of these stories go a little beyond just uh, ribbing and hazing in the locker room. But, you know, a lot of the stories that you hear uh, came when he was drunk. He apparently is or was a terrible drunk and would make an ass out of himself. And Bob Holly tells a great story in his book about Bradshaw fucking with Steve Blackman at an airport. And Steve Blackman was nobody that you wanted to mess with. When you think of the names of some like wrestling tough guys that you've heard these stories about over the years, you think of guys like Meng uh, or uh, Steve Williams and, and Stan Hansen and, and people like that. Harley Race. Steve Blackman you can put on that list. He was not somebody you wanted to mess around with. Steve Blackman, by the way, is now a bail bondsman, in case you've not seen any of his commercials on YouTube. Uh, he, he will not be going into acting anytime soon, but he's a bail bondsman in Pennsylvania. Looks the same as he did 20 years ago. Maybe a little grayer in the hair, but it's amazing. It's like he hasn't aged a day. But Blackman warned him. You know, Bradshaw was, was messing around with him. He kept patting him on the ass or something, and, and Blackman doesn't do that. He goes, listen, you better stop doing that. So, of course, JBL didn't. He's probably drunk. And and Blackman lost it. You know? He slugged him. Uh, as, you know, as the story goes, he got his leg caught. You know, Holly said that uh, Blackman got his leg caught. I don't know if it was in the baggage handle or on a piece of luggage or whatever. He went to kick. And Bradshaw is very lucky that Blackman did not get that kick off. He would have killed him. And Blackman told him that. He goes, I, I'm going to kill you. And then this continued on. They they got to the hotel. It just so happened when they got there that, you know, Bradshaw was there checking in. And, you know, he tried to go over to, I guess, maybe smooth things over. And Blackman said, 
I, I don't remember exactly what the words were that he used. He wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna do anything there. He said, but it's coming. He goes, I'm gonna finish you. I'm gonna end you. And he wasn't playing around. I'm sure at that point JBL probably got the message and said, uh oh, what have I gotten myself into? Because when they got to the building, when they got to the arena, Bradshaw was very smart. He knew I gotta I gotta make this right, or this is not gonna end well for me. He apologized in front of the entire locker room to Steve Blackman. Unprompted, unprovoked. Nobody asked him to do it. Blackman didn't ask him to do it. He apologized to him for what he had done in front of everybody, and that was it. It was basically so he would spare his life. Because he knew Blackman was serious. If Blackman said, I'm going to kill you, he was going to kill him. You know, Blackman has he's had a very interesting life. If you uh, ever heard his story before, he you know got sick many, many, many years ago. I mean, he came into WWE in 97. I remember thinking, who the hell is this guy? But he was around even 10 years earlier than that. But he had been overseas, I think, in, in Africa. Uh, I could have my details wrong here, but I think he contracted malaria. He was he was bedridden. He was on his deathbed. And he it took years for him to recover from that. And I think he had to teach himself uh, whatever it was, karate or taekwondo, and, and just kind of get his body back to what he used to be. And you know, he, had a, he had a rough life. He's not somebody to mess around with. If he says he's going to end you, he's going to end you. So he apologized. And I mean, at that point, Blackman realized, look, I'd be a real asshole to kick this guy's ass after he just apologized in front of everybody. One of the all-time great stories is the time JBL got knocked on his ass by Joey Styles. He got put down by an announcer. Little Joey Styles. On their tribute to the troops trip to Iraq back in 2008, JBL was just bullying him nonstop the entire trip. Wouldn't leave him alone. And finally, Joey had enough. He punched him right in the face and knocked him down. I don't know if he knocked him out, but he definitely punched him in the face and knocked him down. And guess what? JBL didn't fuck with Joey again after that. He was awfully quiet for the rest of the trip. So you can talk about his achievements and you can talk about all of his titles and accomplishments and his place in history. And I think he's a perfectly worthy Hall of Fame inductee for the success that he had. But stories like that are as much a part of his career as any titles that he has ever won. Monday Night Raw was live from the Pacific Northwest this past week, Everett, Washington. Uh, although I don't recall if WWE ever said that they were in Everett. Uh, I don't uh, remember if they did or not. I guess it's not as uh, fancy as LA or Chicago or New York or Boston or any of those bigger cities. But uh, not a great show this week. Not a great show. Felt like a rerun in a lot of ways. The opening segment, which actually I thought was the best segment on the show, but it also, felt like a rerun from the week before. Randy Orton, Matt Hardy, uh, best thing on the show. Largely pointless, since we already saw Orton viciously attack him the week before. You can tell that they had probably planned for that first segment the week before to be the blow-off for Matt. And then they changed their minds and they decided to bring him back after the fact. Uh, the first segment seemed to get real heat on Orton and sympathy for Matt. But by the time Orton laid out Matt with the RKO this time, fans were so upset with Randy Orton and so sympathetic to Matt Hardy, they were chanting, one more time. Orton destroyed him with chair shots. He ripped off Matt's neck brace and, and he teased the concerto. He thought better of it. 
Then he dragged him out to the floor, he placed his head on the ring steps, and he smashed it with a chair. There were a few fans at ringside that chanted one more time, and Orton gave him another one and then shouted, I'm sorry, and walked off. Not one wrestler came from the back to help Matt Hardy or stop Randy Orton. Not one. Even the referees. If if two guys accidentally bump into each other at ringside, we see a posse of referees running down to the ring to break it up. Here, there were maybe one or two refs that came down. They did nothing to stop any of this. Nobody cared about Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy has no friends in WWE. They probably know that he's AEW bound, and as far as they're all concerned, he's dead to them. He's disloyal. None of the wrestlers care to help him. So Matt got carted off on a stretcher, likely for the final time ever on WWE television, uh, or or final time for now, for uh, maybe three or four years, shall we say. Unless they decide to to dig up his dead corpse again and uh, roll him down to the ring in a full body cast and just turn it into a comedy gag tomorrow night, uh, maybe Randy Orton can douse him this time in gasoline and set him on fire. And, and the wrestlers, instead of helping, they can come down and they can roast marshmallows as his flesh burns off the bone. They did show one child in the crowd uh, putting his head in his hands and having to be consoled by his mother. Either he was upset about Matt or he was upset that the uh, concession stand ran out of Sarah Logan t-shirts. Matt's contract is expiring on March 1st. So if there's only one Monday Night Raw left tomorrow night that they could use him on, and and I assume that this here was his swan song, and he's not going to be on the show tomorrow night. Uh, I assume he is not re-signing. Every report has been that every new contract he's been offered, he has rejected. Uh, I also assume Jeff Hardy is not ready to come back yet, or else that would have been the perfect spot for him to return, to come out and try to save his brother. Uh, They could always send Jeff out there tomorrow to get revenge on Randy, but I, I don't know if Jeff's ready to come back. I know he was apparently backstage at SmackDown on Friday night, so he's he's around, which means he's probably on his way back very soon. Uh, I know some of you have been upset at WWE's treatment of Matt Hardy and using him this way, but this is what you do with somebody who is leaving. You use them to get somebody else over or to get a big angle over on the way out. That's standard practice. And I actually think having Randy Orton destroy him the way that he did can work to AEW's benefit. If they if he ends up there in the next few weeks, if he shows up broken, the whole broken Matt thing, I mean, does he even own the rights anymore to broken Matt? Or is that, uh, does, maybe that belongs to WWE? I'm not even sure he could call himself broken Matt. But if he shows up broken, it all makes sense. Because the last image that we would have had of him, he was being physically broken. By Randy Orton. So it works out perfectly. And in fact, Matt just posted a video on his YouTube channel titled Truly Unkillable, basically thanking Randy Orton for his violent assassination on TV and and how it has aided his transformation back to broken Matt. He didn't actually use the word broken, but that's basically what he was saying. And he was also distorting his voice in parts very similar to what AEW has done with the voice of the Exalted One in some of those Dark Order videos. Matt said that we had to witness the burial of the Hardy Boys version of Matt Hardy, but as I sit here in my beloved chair of wheels, 
on this magical hardy compound, we are now only a matter of days away from the rebirth, the reincarnation, the resurrection of my essence. We are only a few days away from the second coming of the new and omnipotent version of Matt Hardy. So we'll see. We'll see where he ends up. I, I already told you where I, I'm 99.999% sure that we will see him on AEW television in the next few weeks. But uh, but good for him. You know, he's he's doing this on the way out, but turning it into something I think that can pay off elsewhere for him. It just, it fits the story. It fits the whole theme of the character if he shows up broken somewhere else. So they can beat him to a bloody pulp if they want to. They can roll him back out on TV tomorrow night and 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 do whatever they want to him. But it's not going to make a difference. I think in the end, it's going to actually work to his benefit. I like them putting uh, Alistair Black in the ring with Eric Rowan. I think both guys, they've been pretty much beating jobbers in 30 seconds every week. So it felt, I don't want to say like a big deal seeing them in the ring together, but it was nice to see them in a competitive match and, and see Alistair Black being put over clean. Uh, we still don't know what's in Rowan's cage. I don't think WWE knows what's in there either. They're probably still trying to figure that out. I talked about John Cena last week, the John Cena Elias rumor for WrestleMania and how I would rather they do something with R-Truth and John Cena. And here on the show, we got R-Truth working more John Cena tribute spots in his 24-7 title match on Monday night against Mojo Rawley and Riddick Moss, which Moss won when he pinned Mojo. It just makes so much sense for them to do something at some point with Cena and Truth, so hopefully they will. It might not be WrestleMania, but hopefully at some point we'll get a fun, you know, interaction between them. MVP, after saying that he wrestled his final match in WWE when he lost to Rey Mysterio a few weeks ago, was already back in the ring in a losing effort against Drew McIntyre. Always bring your gear. That's the lesson here. You never know when you may get the call. No one ever really retires. We've seen that with Edge. We've seen that with Daniel Bryan. Now we're seeing it with MVP. Terry Funk says hello. Nobody ever really retires. Becky Lynch had a bandage on the back of her neck after that zombie bite from Shayna Baszler. She hasn't uh, turned yet. So maybe the zombie virus did not get into her bloodstream. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Becky also had a bag with her, which she turned upside down and out fell a few hundred-dollar bills. But if you look closely, 
There were a lot of singles in there as well. She said she was paying her fine up front for what she was going to do to Shayna Baszler. She was totally going to a strip club. I mean, there were a lot of singles in that bag. She was totally going to a strip club later. With all those singles, she's a freak, this one. I like it. I like it. Shayna was there on the big screen. She talked about her uh, being a part of the Women's Elimination Chamber match next month. They've announced a chamber match to determine Becky's challenger at WrestleMania, which isn't predictable at all, of course. In the chamber will be Shayna Baszler, Asuka, Natty, and all three ex-Riot Squad members, Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, and Liv Morgan. Why Sarah Logan is in there and not Kyrie Sane, I have no idea. Kyrie is cleared. She even had a match. She got a win on Monday night over Natty. Yet Natty is in the chamber and not Kyrie Sane. Makes no sense. Why not build to an opening in the chamber match, an opening sequence where Asuka and Kyrie, you know, they're the women's tag team champions. Supposedly a random draw, right? Maybe you open the chamber with Asuka against Kyrie Sane. They're the first two chosen to start the chamber. You know, the women's tag team champions forced to go at it for the first five minutes. Or not, you know, I suppose they could just make funny faces at all the other women in their pods and just kind of double team the first person who gets out. But I'd love to see that. Asuka and Kairi Sane going at it for the first five minutes. I do think Kairi is probably on her way out. I do think she is probably leaving. I, I don't know when her deal is up. I mean, she could have another year on it for all I know. I don't know. But uh, there's been a lot of chatter about her and Io Shirai, you know, maybe going back to Japan and going back to stardom uh, when their deals are up. You know, Io is married to Evil uh, from New Japan, which is... Uh, I, I saw there was one wrestling news website, and I forget which one it was, but this just goes to show you why you really need to be careful, and you really need to be selective with what websites you pick and choose to get your news from, and I've talked about the sites before that I, I find more reliable than others, uh, but my god, there was one site that had a whole news item on Kyrie Sane getting married, because that was, even WWE reported on it, Kyrie Sane this week got married. To her fiance, I believe uh, a couple days ago, actually. They they tied the knot. She's been in a long-distance relationship, she says, with her fiance for many years. They just got married. They want to start a family together. But this, this one website had this whole write-up on Kyrie getting married. And the lead item in the first paragraph is, you know, Kyrie Sane marries a New Japan Pro Wrestling star. And in the first two lines, it says that Kyrie married NJPW star Evil. How do you fuck that up? I guess they all look the same to this particular website. Kyrie Sane is not married to evil. That's Io Shirai. That's a pretty big fuck up. Be very, very careful with where you get your news from. Just listen to this podcast. That's all you need. I'm not pulling news from websites like that. I can tell you that much. Holy shit. Unless... Boy, wouldn't that be something for evil if he was married to both Kairi Sane and Io Shirai? He'd be the luckiest guy on Earth. But I don't think that's the way it works over there in Japan. Maybe other countries. Not Japan. But Kairi is married now. And I, I just feel she's, she's not going to be sticking around. I'll be sad to see her go if she does leave. You know, both of them. You know, if Io leaves too, I'll be very upset. You know, they've been great. Especially Io in NXT since her heel turn. She's been fantastic. She's been out with an injury. I think she's due back in the next uh, few weeks. But we'll see. We'll see where they end up. Uh, but I know they want her back badly in Japan. 
Uh, WWE probably wanted all three Riot Squad members in the chamber for some kind of uh, spot that they plan on doing. I could not care less about the Riot Squad. I wasn't a big fan of the Riot Squad to begin with. I mean, individually, like like Ruby, I think, is, is very good. I, I like her, and uh, I was very curious what they would do with Liv when they brought her back. I've not been impressed. But the, the Riot Squad faction, I just don't give a shit about. So whatever they may have planned here, I don't, it doesn't really phase me. I just think it's, I don't know, I just feel like Logan in there is a waste of a spot. I say have it come down to Shayna and Asuka, the two most dominant women's champions in the history of NXT. Create some drama, you know, even though I'm sure it'll probably end up being uh, Shayna and Natty. So they're going to make Shayna qualify for the match at WrestleMania. It's predictable, but it is what it is. You know, they have a pay-per-view to fill before then. They have to they have to put something on paper for the Elimination Chamber. Shayna says that she comes from the cage fighting world, so this is right up her alley. She's got the advantage. Uh, she says she didn't plan on biting Becky last week. It just happened. And then she said, I'm going to tear the shit out of you. That last line of her promo upset at least one fan on social media. A father who tweeted Shayna Baszler and said, I don't mind if you pull something like this, but my kids were watching. And if you aren't going to keep it PG, you should say so. Uh-oh! The PG police are out. This was Shayna's response to this person. She says, or you could be a father and tell them that I am a terrible person and they shouldn't like me for that. Or that they will get grounded and their tablets taken away if they ever do that. Because I don't give a crap about your kids. So I won't modify my behavior for them. Bravo, I say. I love her so much for saying that. The segment aired during the second hour of the show, probably 9.30 or so. They use salty language on Raw from time to time. If you're that protective of your child's virgin ears, then they shouldn't be watching simulated fighting at 9 o'clock at night. After they're done watching Blue's Clues, you can tuck them in at 5 o'clock. Okay, put their nightlight on, bar the door shut so they can't escape. Lock yourself away in the basement when you watch Raw so Shayna's promo doesn't enter their little uh, sensitive ear canals. Why would you even tweet something like that to Shayna Baszler if it bothered you that much? She doesn't write this stuff. What do you think, she's in the back, she's got the reading glasses on, she's sitting around the, the fucking desk with everybody at the production meeting writing her own promo? She's playing a part on a television show. You have such a big problem with it. Write the company. Tweet Vince McMahon. I wish Shayna Baszler would go to that guy's house and bite each one of his fingers off so he can't tweet stupid shit to anybody ever again. Idiot. Rusev was back on TV. <clears throat> he was tagging with Humberto Carrillo in a uh, losing effort against Lashley and Angel Garza. Garza, he rolled up Rusev for the win. Rusev is still having uh, contract, I guess, uh, issues with WWE. The best part of this, though, is Angel Garza walking up to the barricade. He left the ring. He goes over to the barricade. He's, like, pointing or, or waving over to some woman in the crowd. And this female fan comes over and gives him a kiss on the cheek. Just made her night. And then immediately when he turns around, he gets wiped out on a dive by Carrillo. <laughs> I just thought that whole sequence of events there was great. We got a sermon with the Monday Night Messiah. There was a fan in the crowd with a Monday Night Moron sign. That was great. 
He said nothing of any real note. I thought this was very boring, but he was acting all preachy and delusional, so basically playing himself on Twitter. Uh, nothing inspirational about this. He would be a terrible uh, person to give an actual sermon. Viking Raiders finally ran out. Rollins bailed. Kevin Owens snuck up behind him on stage, gave him a stunner. That set the stage for the main event. Murphy and AOP against Owens and the Vikings. I'm already growing tired of this. What's worse is that there was no Samoa Joe on this show. And I was wondering, why is, you know, Joe just came back. He made his return. He had a concussion, came back. Where the hell is Samoa Joe? He was back and then he wasn't. And and no mention was made of him other than he's not there. And now we find out that it may be a while before we see him on TV again. ProWrestlingSheet.com broke the news and, and the Observer added to it that Samoa Joe has once again been injured and is not currently cleared to compete. I thought this was a kayfabe news story when I first read this. I had to double-check the website that I was looking at. He was injured on the set of a WWE commercial that they were filming last week when he hit his head on a bad table break filming a stunt. And he either suffered a second concussion or just aggravated the symptoms of the first one that he had suffered several weeks ago on Raw. And so Joe now could be out of action for what they call a considerable amount of time. Which reads to me like no WrestleMania for Samoa Joe. This guy, he can't even catch a commercial break lately. I don't even know what to say anymore. You know, the dive out of the ring where he got concussed, and and now this, these are just dumb Freak injuries. You could say the guy, he's injury prone, but these are just a bunch of little, just, again, freak accident type injuries. This is final destination type stuff with Joe. I'd stay far away from him if I were his co-workers. I mean, I thought Samoans were supposed to have hard heads and be impervious to injury. I guess not. You know, with all these injuries, the Mets need to sign Samoa Joe to a contract. He'd fit right in. AJ Styles was back on this show. He wasn't wrestling, but it was good to see him back. He separated his shoulder at the Royal Rumble. Luke Gallows said, Uncle Allen is at his best when the WrestleMania sign goes up. And I thought to myself, I said, is he though? Is he really at his best? I think we've seen his best matches outside of WrestleMania. Against The Undertaker this year, I suspect that, you know, that's not going to change. Uh, that we will not be seeing uh, the best of AJ Styles matches if they put him in the ring with The Undertaker. But they're calling him the new Mr. WrestleMania, which could also mean that he's, you know, we're being swerved and he's maybe going to face Shawn Michaels in Tampa. That would be a much better match. And Shawn's been retired technically for, man, it's crazy to think about. I mean, he came back for that match in Saudi, uh, was it last year, the year before? And he was really the one guy who didn't get hurt. I feel like it was kind of the glue holding that match together. But outside of that one match, Shawn Michaels has been retired for what's going a decade. It was 2010 when he wrestled The Undertaker. At WrestleMania 26, he has been retired for a decade. And I will take a decade retired Shawn Michaels one-on-one against AJ Styles before I uh, I even think about AJ Styles and The Undertaker. I would gladly take the 10-year retired, bald Shawn Michaels, who looks nothing like the Shawn Michaels of all. I can't get over the fact that he's bald now. But I would happily take that over uh, AJ and The Undertaker. He said he wants to be the WWE champion. 
And it didn't matter who he'd have to go through. And he actually name-dropped Shawn Michaels, and he name-dropped The Undertaker, and he also name-dropped Razor Ramon and Diesel and Hulk Hogan Sting. He said the Sting with the soul patch, he wanted to clarify. You know, Hulk Hogan is fishing for a retirement match in his hometown of Tampa this year. Can you imagine if we got AJ Styles against Hulk Hogan? I'm sure Hogan would love that. Wouldn't have to take a single bump. Let AJ do all the work. Then just pin him and pose. I can't say that it would be great for AJ. Although probably it would be the easiest match AJ's ever had. It'd be like a night off for him. But I think uh, they could do better by uh, AJ Styles. He also mentioned Ricochet's name, which brought out Ricochet. I hope he has his uh, affairs in order before he flies to Saudi Arabia to meet Brock Lesnar. He says he's going to beat Brock, and he's going to stand tall. And the OC began laughing at him. I was laughing at home right along with them. (laughs) It was one big laugh fest at that line. Let's see, what else happened on this uh, stinking show here? Owens and the Vikings. In the main event, they beat Murphy and AOP by DQ to close the show when the Monday Night Messiah ran in and interfered. The Monday Night Messiah then grabbed the microphone and he threatened to crucify Kevin Owens. And the Street Profits ran down to make the save. The good guys fended off the heels and stood tall. A very dull episode of Monday Night Raw. Raw is in Winnipeg. Tomorrow night, I believe for the first time in something like 15 or 16 years. The last time they were in Winnipeg for Raw, Chris Jericho won musical chairs in one of the most entertaining segments in the history of Monday Night Raw. Thanks mostly to Ric Flair. But everybody in that segment played their part. Chris Jericho, Tom Coe, Ric Flair, Jerry Lawler, Stacey Keebler. They were all very entertaining in this segment. The coach, Tajiri, I think Tajiri misted the coach in the eyes. They had Pop Goes the Weasel playing in the background as the game was going on. I love that segment. I really do. I love that segment. That segment was so much fun. The kind of like silly, stupid fun that's missing from Monday Night Raw. I don't mind silly, stupid fun if it's fun. That segment was fun. SmackDown was live from Glendale, Arizona this week. I mentioned Naomi uh, beating Carmella to earn a shot at the Women's Championship. I mentioned that earlier during my sweet Saudi money predictions. Uh, The match wasn't very good. Very rough in a lot of spots. This was not as good, not nearly as good, as uh, Bailey and Carmella was on TV a few weeks ago. But I talked about that. I talked about the ending with Goldberg and The Fiend, so I'm not going to get into that again. But there were a few other things that happened on this show. Maybe this started the week before. I I saw some people say, oh, for the second week in a row. I don't remember seeing this the week before, but I only first noticed it this week, the two different times during the show where there was a glitch of sorts that we saw on screen. Once was in the middle of a tag match. It was the New Day and the Usos against Miz and Morrison, Rude and Ziggler. And there was a a little glitch in the Matrix for about two or three seconds during the match. And this symbol, almost like an envelope, was flashed on screen, and then it just disappeared. And the announcers made no mention of it. It was just completely ignored. Then again later, there was a Mandy Rose segment backstage, and it happened again. And it was very brief, and nobody made mention of it. So, clearly this is foreshadowing either a new star arriving on the show, or the return of one. We saw some static. It was a a bright circle that showed up on screen. 
uh, and what appears to be a mail envelope, like a, like an envelope icon that you would see on a computer. I don't know what the envelope signifies. I mean, unless Vince McMahon is channeling uh, 1995 gimmicks again, and he's about to debut a mailman gimmick. But the infamous GS, shout out to the infamous GS on Twitter, who sent me a side-by-side comparison of what that circle that you saw looked like, that bright circle, next to a picture of Mustafa Ali's palm. You know, when he holds out his palm, when he gets in the ring during his entrance, and he's got that that circle that lights up on his glove, the circles look exactly the same. Like, it's identical. So that was a good catch by him. I assume this somehow is tied into the return of Ali to television. He has not been seen in weeks, maybe months. He just disappeared off the face of the earth. I'm not aware of him having an injury. They just have done nothing with him. He's gone MIA. But if I had to venture a guess based on that little clue, this looks probably like it's something for him and not the arrival of someone new. And good. It'd be good if they actually have an idea for this guy. If they're they're putting little vignettes like this together for him, maybe they actually have something in mind for him. Speaking of Mandy. Mandy Rose. We got two segments this week. One backstage where Tucker walks up to Mandy and Sonya in the back and he's reading Mandy the riot act for what you know, she did to Otis. She broke Otis's heart that Valentine's date the week before. He said Otis is devastated. He won't leave his hotel room. He brought up the fact that Mandy texted him that she was running late. And Mandy had no idea what he was talking about. And when he walked off, Sonia said to Mandy, boy, it looks like you really dodged a bullet by missing that date with Otis. And she said, you know, Dolph Ziggler is more of your type anyway, right? Dolph Ziggler is more of, a, a, you know, Mandy's type of guy that she would date anybody. So she's obviously behind this, as I suspected. I, I said as much last week. The fans did not like that. They booed loudly when Sonya said that. And then they started a loud chant of Otis in the building. This guy is over. This story is working. This story is working. This guy is over. He is the biggest sympathetic babyface on this show now. I won't say he's the biggest babyface because he's not you know, He's not Roman Reigns. And, and Roman gets more cheers than boos now. But... He is the biggest sympathetic babyface on this entire show, probably in the whole company right now. Uh, Later on, Mandy was backstage waiting for her ride. I guess waiting for her Uber. There's no way any single man on that roster with any brain in his head is not at least offering Mandy a ride back to her hotel. Dolph Ziggler happened to walk by and he offered her a ride and she accepted. And after they left, Otis emerged. He was hiding behind a, a corner or a plant or whatever it was. Like a creepy stalker. Now look what you've done. Look what you've turned him into. I've seen movies like this and it does not end well for Dolph or for Mandy. Uh, There's supposedly a leaked WrestleMania run sheet floating around on the, uh, the interweb. I have no idea where it originated from. I have no idea if it's legit, if it's real... So I'm not going to get into the whole th- the whole thing, but it does list a singles match for the kickoff show at WrestleMania with Otis against Dolph one-on-one with Mandy Rose as the guest referee. I figured that they would do maybe a mixed tag. If 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 we have the big reveal on TV that it was Sonya or, or whoever is revealed to be the person who actually texted Otis. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If all of this is uncovered before WrestleMania, then at WrestleMania, you do a mixed tag. And you have Otis and Mandy. If we assume that Mandy is going to side with Otis when she finds out what's going on here, that she's been duped. Otis and Mandy against Dolphin Sonya in a mixed tag. You know? Maybe they want to drag this thing out longer. Maybe they want to drag this thing out as long as... It's the best story they have. So maybe they want to drag it out as long as possible. This may be the most I've ever looked forward to a kickoff match in my life. They had a symphony of destruction match with various musical instruments littered around ringside, including a piano. Falls count anywhere with Elias and Braun Strowman against Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro. Uh, this turned into some fun wackiness near the end. Nakamura and Cesaro, they double suplex Strowman onto a, a stand-up base outside on the floor. And uh, the base shattered into uh, a million pieces. You know, I still remember the days when I was uh, a lot more naive. And uh, I used to call it a bass. <laughs> People said, uh, like a fish? I said, no, that's a bass. They're like, no, that's a base. It's like here on this podcast, all the people who've been listening to this show for a long time, you remember when I used to call Wale a uh, whale? I didn't know who he was. I don't even know in what context I would have mentioned him. But I used to call him whale and people would laugh. I'm like, what are you laughing at me for? They're like, it's not his name. I go, of course it is. W-A-L-E. It's whale. They're like, no, it's Wale. I'm like, what is he, French? And then I felt like an idiot. I, and then years later, I'm exchanging uh, DMs on Twitter with Wale since he follows me. It's just weird how all these things come full circle. But it was a stand-up base outside that uh, Strowman got slammed onto. Nakamura went for the Kinshasa to Elias. Elias moved. And Nakamura crashed into a giant gong. Not to be confused with Undertaker's giant dong that you hear whenever he walks out. Elias placed Cesaro on top of a table outside the ring, climbed up top, hit a giant elbow drop. This this was a thing of beauty, I have to say. Giant elbow drop off the top rope, down through the table on the floor. At the same time, Strowman had Nakamura on his shoulder, standing up on the announce table. He was he was getting him ready for a power slam, and he power slammed him. I guess the idea was he was going to power slam him through the piano, and the piano would break. Only the piano did not break. The piano did not budge. I am the piano. And Nakamura came up bloody on the back of his head. It looked like his head hit the edge of the piano on the way down. You know, I, I was going back and forth. There's on a different subject here. with Because Baron Corbin was on the show and he did a, a backstage promo on Roman Reigns to kind of build into the cage match with Roman on the Saudi show this Thursday. And... 
I saw Baron Corbin, his stupid Instagram comment this week, where he called Dave Meltzer a cancer, like a fucking idiot. That Baron Corbin, Baron Corbin, look, Baron Corbin seems like a fairly bright guy in in those uh, interviews and and videos I see of him outside the ring. I saw stuff from him on Instagram where he's doing cooking videos and he's, you know, making ribs and stuff. And believe it or not, he seems like kind of a likable guy in some of these videos. I don't want to hate Baron Corbin, but he makes it so easy. To use that kind of word and call Dave, I mean, you could disagree with Meltzer. You could say that Meltzer has, you know, uh, his favorites or whatever, or he, you know, certain negative qualities. You know, look, no one's perfect. I don't agree with everything that he says. You know, he said some stupid stuff about uh, some of the women last year, I think it was, called him out for it. But to call him a cancer, that he's a cancer on the industry, is one of the most brain-dead fucking stupid things that I've heard all year. Talk about going overboard. I think wrestling is going to be far worse off. A lot of these wrestling websites, a lot of these people and pundits, they're all going to be far worse off when there's no Dave Meltzer anymore. Dave Meltzer, I will, you know, who's going to be around to eulogize all these dead wrestlers? Got a lot of those, don't we, over the years? The body count's awfully large. All these dead wrestlers. And who's the one that everybody turns to when another wrestler dies? To read their bio, to read their write-up in The Observer. Oh, it's Dave Meltzer. Oh, but he's a cancer. On the industry. Hey, Baron Corbin, fuck you. Renee Young conducted a sit-down. I wasn't even going to cover that shit, but I just couldn't help myself. Renee Young conducted a sit-down interview with Lacey Evans. Where, among other things, now that they're trying to get her over as a babyface, she claimed that when she calls people yanasties, it's actually a term of endearment. I think I'm going to start calling people ya shitheads. But tell them not to worry, I'm actually paying them a compliment and see if they actually buy into that. She also said the plans to go through the... Uh, she has plans to go through five other women in the Elimination Chamber to get another shot at Bailey's championship, which is the first that I'm hearing about there being a second women's Elimination Chamber match at the pay-per-view. We already know there's going to be a Raw women's chamber match. If there's a SmackDown women's chamber match and a men's SmackDown chamber match, which Sheamus has already entered, that's three Elimination Chamber matches on one show. That is complete overkill. Now, I'm hoping she just misspoke, but I doubt it. I mean, I doubt they would have posted the whole clip on their YouTube channel if she screwed up. So it looks like we're getting three chamber matches, which is ridiculous. There's no wonder none of these gimmicks feel special anymore. Three chamber matches? Is that really necessary? Three? Sheamus made a guest appearance on WWE's YouTube show, The Bump, and confessed that when he came back... To the company, came back to TV, he requested to use his old Written in My Face theme song. The old uh, It's a Shameful Thing lobster head song. But WWE management rejected his request. He said, I actually wanted to have my original music back. I pushed for that, I pushed for it, and I was denied. I wanted it. It's a shameful thing lobster head, or whatever it is. People make up their own too many limes, too many limes. I love it. Everybody loves this music. And he said the powers that be in WWE denied the request because they felt the theme was outdated. 
He says, I brought this to the powers that be and they basically said that they don't remember it. I was told they don't remember this song. They said it was outdated. So if everybody watching here wants to hear this music back, get online, petition the powers, tell the powers that be, tell the WWE because the WWE universe has the voice. You tell them you want too many limes back when Sheamus walks to that ring. The lyrics to that song have become such a punchline. There's no way that it doesn't uh, end up turning him babyface if he uses it. He's already turning babyface with some uh, of the reactions that he's been getting. He's been squashing dudes every single week on TV. <laughs> you know, Chad Gable is getting less over. Apollo Crews was never over. So, I mean, how much lower can you go? Underground, I guess. It's not helping them. All it's been doing is getting Sheamus over more as a babyface. I can see it now. Lobster head signs all over the arenas. Maybe maybe even an actual lobster head if somebody can sneak one past security. I think, here's what I think is going on here. I think this is petty bullshit from WWE. Because they don't want to go back to using a Jim Johnston song. That's what I think this is really all about. They managed to get rid of it and they don't want to go back to it. I have heard that there is a lot of pettiness with respect to Jim Johnston, not from Johnston himself, but from the WWE side, and I really don't understand why that is. Uh, I'll bet anything, though, that that at least has something to do with why they don't want to give him his old music back. His current theme, the the, uh, Hellfire theme, is a CFO's song. I like Hellfire, too. I think it's a pretty badass song. CFO's, interestingly, is no longer working with WWE either. But not because of any kind of uh, falling out uh, between the two sides. Fightful.com reported that CFOs has some kind of an issue with their publisher. And they wanted WWE to buy them out of their deal. And and kind of bring them in, I guess, in-house. And WWE was up for it, but the publisher rejected the idea. And so they're sort of in limbo right now until they can get that resolved. Uh, And then it sounds like WWE may be open to bringing CFOs back into the fold. You know, but the, the, I knew something was up because the official WWE music channel, which is if you just type in all one word, WWE music, uh, the official channel should come up. And there's been no new uploads to the YouTube channel in six months. Not since they uploaded the Fiends uh, theme song back in probably October it was. And they used to upload new stuff on there on a pretty regular basis. And there has just been nothing for six months. Uh, so again, I like Seamus's Hellfire theme as well. You know, the same one that he and Cesaro used when they were the bar. But it would be fun to hear him use his old song again. Uh, the other thing Seamus talked about on the bump was his desire to win the Intercontinental title. The one title, not counting that 24-7 piece of garbage, that he has never won. The one championship that has eluded him his entire career. He wants to win it to become what he calls the first ever ultimate Grand Slam champion in WWE history. He really wants that title. It it would mean something to him, he says. Uh, And, you know, when he started running down all of the different titles and the different achievements that he's had in his career, uh, I had to stop and realize, I didn't really realize just how many accomplishments that he has to his name in WWE. He's been WWE champion three different times. He's been the world heavyweight champion once. That's when he beat Daniel Bryan in 18 seconds. 
He's been the United States champion twice. He's been a Raw Tag Team champion four times. He's been a SmackDown Tag Team champion once. He's a King of the Ring winner. He's a Royal Rumble winner. He's a Money in the Bank winner. The IC title is all he's got left. And it's it's too bad they got rid of the white strap and the classic design. It would have blended right in with his pasty white skin. It would have just looked like the plates were glued to his body. You wouldn't have even seen a strap. I think the match for WrestleMania has got to be him and Braun Strowman for the championship and Sheamus wins it. You know, if he and Strowman are both going to be in the Elimination Chamber match, and we had that one leaked uh, lineup from the arena where the Elimination Chamber is taking place on March 8th, and the original lineup, and this was this was directly given to them by WWE uh, because the building, and they may have pulled it since then, but they were the ones advertising that match. And I, I gave you guys the lineup about a week or two ago. It was rumored to be Roman Reigns and King Corbin and Braun Strowman and Shinsuke Nakamura and uh, Bobby Roode, and there might have been one other name in there. And Bobby Roode being in there stood out to me as, Bobby Roode, why the fuck would he be in the Elimination Chamber match? If anything, you could argue Ziggler and not Roode. And then I said, well, Roode's probably just a placeholder, or he'll you know, be coming out and he'll be attacked and somebody will take his place. But then we saw Sheamus on SmackDown this week basically say that he's going to be in the Elimination Chamber. So maybe it's changed, maybe he'll replace uh, Bobby Roode, as he should. Uh, but if him and Strowman are both going to be in the chamber, they could do something in there. And if they eliminate each other or whatever, that helps build to a championship match between them at WrestleMania. Just give him the title. Give him his old music back and give him the IC strap. He's got a great YouTube channel, by the way. Just wanted to mention that. Sheamus and Asuka have my two favorite wrestler YouTube channels. If you're not watching the content that they're putting out, you're missing out. So Seamus just got a new uh, workout video. Basically what his channel is, is a bunch of, he'll do workout videos with a whole bunch of different wrestlers, but he'll interview them as well. So at the beginning of the interview, they're standing in a gym somewhere, uh, or maybe in their house, and he's interviewing them for 15, 20, 25 minutes, and then they just go into whatever their workout routine is. Seamus wants to do their workout. And... There was a video he did with, uh, I don't know how old this is, but even uh, some NXT people. So he was working out at the Performance Center with Zia Lee from NXT. I was watching that one a few days ago. And boy, she was kicking his ass with this workout. <laughs> the funniest part of the video, though, she has him doing this thing where he's got to prop himself upside down uh, against the wall. And <laughs> the process of trying to do it he rips a fart like you have never heard before. It, it literally blew Zia Lee backwards. <laughs> I felt so bad for her. The Celtic fart. That should be one of his new moves. Uh, you could tell how embarrassed he was. But look, shit happens, right? So uh, hopefully a fart, not a shark. But that's a different story. Anyway, so he does these these workout uh, workouts with people. And you get to learn about them. You know, he did rows with Rowan. He's on the rowing machine with Eric Rowan. You never hear Rowan speak. So whatever it was, like a year ago or something, I think he was working out with Rowan. It's not recent. Uh, and just watching Rowan on the machine talking to Seamus for 20 minutes, I probably learned more about the guy in that one video than I have in five years or six years that he's been on WWE television. So the most recent one he did was John Cena at uh, the gym that Cena works out. It's like a two-parter, and 
I mean, seen as a freak of nature anyway. Um, if I had one more recommendation, there was a video uh, workout many months ago that he did with Edge. They went biking. And I guess near where Edge lives, there's this, I can't even call it a bike path. It, it's the, the craziest thing where it's almost like just this steep hill through the woods, but you're, you know, you're, it's like a, a downward decline. And, you know, you pick up a good rate of speed. It's pretty dangerous. I have to say, I'm watching the video and Seamus has his GoPro. So you're watching it from his perspective as he's just going down on this bike. And it's giving me anxiety watching it. But it looked fun as hell. But Edge in one of the videos took a bump. Uh, so I don't know what happened if he just made a, a wrong sharp turn or if he hit like a piece of like a branch or something. But Edge, he's lucky he didn't get really more hurt than he did. He just got scraped up. But he took a bump and they kind of replayed it and it was embarrassing uh a lot of good stuff on his channel oscar it's a, a gaming channel and she comes across as the nicest woman on television she's this mean killer she's got the green you know the mist dripping from her mouth and in these videos she's you know the nicest woman you'd ever see you know it's always smiling and laughing and you know, she's uh putting putting like a gaming chair together in one video and then playing games in another Anyway, if you've not seen their channels, take the time to go seek them out. I think you'll enjoy their content. Let's get to uh, AEW here. AEW wins again head-to-head with NXT. Both shows were up from the week before, which is what you want to see. Dynamite averaged 893,000 live viewers. That's up 10% from the week before. NXT averaged 794,000, so 100,000 less. Uh, They were up 5% from the week before. That was the best live NXT number since December 18th, which was the last time that they beat AEW. I believe that was that AEW show that had that awful ending with the Dark Order laying everybody out from the Elite. You know, and again, I gave AEW credit last week when Brandi Rhodes gave that interview. And she basically said, look, this Nightmare Collective stuff wasn't working. The fans, it wasn't working for them either. So we abandoned it. And I gave them credit. I said, that's that's great. They recognized something wasn't working and they dumped it. And I never really uh, gave them credit for this, but I will, I will give them uh, credit for kind of pivoting in a different direction with the Dark Order and the Elite stuff as well, because they were skewered for that ending on Dynamite. People did not like that ending. And you'll notice there's been no interaction at all between the Elite and the Dark Order ever since. So if there was any original plan to keep that feud going they quickly realize oops we fucked up and they dropped it and instead we've had the dark order basically doing stuff with scu now i'm not saying that every time you get one bad crowd reaction you should just cancel all of your creative plans there's got to be a balance you you know look if you have a a long-term plan you've got to stick to it but so far they've been able to pivot away from these uh these terrible you know, creative storyline uh, twists that people have not really uh, responded well to. They, they've had enough foresight to at least recognize, hey, we, we did something wrong here. Let's fix this or let's not do this. So I got I to gotta at least give them credit for that. Uh, I really thought AEW had a shot this week at cracking a million uh, with all the hype for that cage match for the last few weeks. Uh, you did have the Democratic debate that night. That did 20 million viewers, which is... I mean, there aren't very many things doing 20 million viewers on live TV. 
uh, on Wednesday nights or any night. So I'm sure how much that played a role, I don't know, but I'm sure that didn't help. I thought that Dynamite on Wednesday was their second best episode to date. If you thought it was their best episode, I wouldn't fight you on that. I thought it was excellent. Uh, I would only put it behind the episode from the week before. So they're on quite a roll right now, heading into their pay-per-view on Saturday. Uh, I thought the tag team title match with Kenny Omega and Hangman Page beating the Lucha Bros was outstanding. I enjoyed the cage match with Cody and Wardlow. I thought Wardlow had a good showing in his first match. Uh, you know, the moonsault off the top by Cody was crazy. Uh, he did fracture his toe. He's lucky that's all he fractured. Uh, but he is cleared to wrestle. Kurt Angle probably regrets those uh, moonsaults off the cage. They uh, take a toll on your knees. And your toes, apparently. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And one thing I missed from the Tag Team Battle Royal was when they showed the Dark Order guy sitting in the crowd... And then SCU got eliminated, and they were brawling into the crowd with the Dark Order. There was a guy just sitting there watching, like, in the background, on on the end of, like, the third or fourth row. There's this older-looking guy in, like, I don't know if it was a Hawaiian shirt or whatever, but he's just sitting there, and he's not reacting. These guys are brawling right around him. He's not moving. He's not reacting. He's not doing anything. I'm like, boy, look at that old guy. He's just sitting there. He's not even flinching. And I didn't realize that was Raven. The old guy was Raven, who lives in Atlanta, so he was local. Uh, but, you know, there's been chatter about him maybe being revealed as the exalted one leading the Dark Order, and I think they really just wanted to play off those rumors and, and kind of get you thinking that maybe it's Raven. There's no way it's Raven. It, it's The exalted one is not going to be Raven. But there he was, sitting in the crowd. I don't know if even the people around him realize who it was. <laughs> he's just He's just sitting there. Uh, Dynamite this Wednesday in Kansas City is the go-home show to uh, next weekend's Revolution pay-per-view. I'll be doing my Dynamite predictions live on YouTube this Wednesday, immediately after I wrap up my Dynamite review. So you're going to have to tune into the live stream on Wednesday night at 10 p.m. for a double whammy of content. So if you want the predictions, tune into the live stream on Wednesday. I'll review Dynamite. And we'll go right into the predictions. This Wednesday, it's Kenny Omega against Pac in a 30-minute Ironman match. Most falls in 30 minutes wins. I think Pac is is taking this. I think he's going to take the win here off of some botched interference from Hangman Page trying to help Kenny, but it backfires. That builds some dissension between the partners heading into their match with the Young Bucks. We've got the Jurassic Express taking on Sammy Guevara, Santana, and Ortiz of the Inner Circle. The best friends take on The Butcher. 
and the blade. And hopefully Orange Cassidy gets revenge on the bunny for kicking him in his tangerines on Dynamite last week. She's got uh, she's got some lethal leg kicks coming her way. And there will be an official weigh-in for the Chris Jericho, John Moxley main event at Revolution. So here's my question. You've got to have a weigh-in, right? So what happens if Jericho doesn't make weight? What if he's been drinking uh, too much bubbly? Does it become non-title like it would in uh, UFC? I'd imagine we're also going to get some kind of a segment involving Cody and MJF to make their match official on the pay-per-view, maybe one last promo. The Revolution uh, will be televised next Saturday at 7 Eastern on pay-per-view from Chicago. Here's the lineup for the event. Chris Jericho defends the AEW world title against John Moxley. Cody gets his match with MJF. Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defend their AEW tag team titles against the Young Bucks. Dustin Rhodes looks for revenge on Jake Hager for the broken arm that he gave him. And Darby Allin takes on Sammy Guevara. I would imagine that we're going to get at least two more matches added to this show. I mean, five seems awfully low, uh, considering they only do four pay-per-views a year. You know, a five-match card seems low. Probably add like a Nyla Rose title defense. uh, And they love their tag team matches. So maybe add one or two of those, and then you'll have a full card. And uh, again, I'll I'll have my predictions on Wednesday, and then you can join me live next Saturday on YouTube. I'll be going live after the Revolution pay-per-view, and then turning right around the next morning, a few hours later, and recording episode six forty-one. So I've got I've got three live streams planned in four in a four-day span this week. Now between Dynamite on Wednesday, Sweet Saudi Money on Thursday, and uh, Revolution next Saturday. So hopefully you can join me for all of the festivities. NXT this week was another, you know, look, it was a solid show. There's something missing right now. I don't quite know what it is, but eh, something's missing. Uh, Undisputed Era, they've got to land on Raw or SmackDown after WrestleMania. I mean, it's, it's time. It's time. They have been in NXT forever. These guys have been main roster ready from day one. And they have spent far too much time in NXT. So whether they split, whether they stay together, they've got to move to Raw or SmackDown after WrestleMania. Cole has to drop that championship at TakeOver in Tampa, and they've just got to move on. And that should open some new spots up on top for some new faces. Uh, I did like the Leo Rush-Jordan Devlin uh, Cruiserweight title match to open the show. I thought that was excellent. Uh, Devlin retains there. Uh, We had a backstage segment with Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. We got a little bit of an explanation from uh, Gonzalez on why she attacked Tegan Knox and helped Dakota Kai at the pay-per-view. She talked about how, you know, I myself at the Performance Center, I'm constantly being overlooked. And, uh, you know, I saw that you were kind of going through a similar thing and I wanted to help you out. William Regal has announced a cage match for NXT in two weeks. No outside interference. It'll be Tegan Knox against Dakota Kai. Uh, Austin Theory was on this show. I thought he looked very impressive in his uh, last match. Coming over from Evolve, the former Evolve champion, young kid, came over, had a good match. This was not a good night for Austin Theory. He came out for a match against who, I don't know, but he was interrupted by Tommaso Ciampa. Tommaso Ciampa, after being screwed at TakeOver by Johnny Gargano and not winning the championship, he was in no mood to be messed around with. He was uh, he was the Steve Blackman to Austin Theory's JBL here on this show. And Theory kept poking the bear and poking the bear. And finally, Champa snapped. 
and he beat the piss out of this kid. He must have whipped him back and forth into the guardrails outside 15 times. He can take an ass kicking. I'll give him that. We had the Broserweights, Pete Dunn and Matt Riddle. They came out celebrating with the fans, their new uh, tag team titles. And Pete Dunn said that uh, Riddle got there because Riddle was like, where's our golf cart, bro? And Pete Dunn said, well, you got it impounded. And Riddle said they were both partying hard in Portland after their win. And unfortunately, their third bro, the Dusty Cup, well, the Dusty Cup didn't make it. The Dusty Cup partied a little too hard and it failed the company's wellness policy, which means the Cup is now suspended for 30 days. He said, it's a thing here, bro. It's a thing here. I like how they're just openly mocking the idea that, you know, they've done this before. Matt Riddle is going to smoke you and all that kind of stuff. And as far as I know, you're still not really allowed technically to smoke weed. If you get caught smoking weed, you get fined like 2,500 bucks or something. And I mean, a lot of guys can just pay it and they, they almost pay it like a weed tax. So they smoke and if they get caught, they pay the fine. I guess that's probably the way it works with Riddle because there ain't no way he's not smoking anymore. But I like how they just sort of just openly mock their own policy now on TV. I don't know. It's just just kind of weird. I think it's funny, but I just think from a company perspective, it's kind of weird that you're mocking your own policy. Uh, The Broserweights, they they did wrestle. They beat Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch. There was a Forgotten Sons of Anarchy uh, selfie promo in the back. They were talking about how offended they were at what the grizzled young veterans from NXT UK said. Earlier in the night, they had a match. Uh, Did uh, Gibson and uh, his partner, whose name now escapes me. But they had a match. And when the match was over, the grizzled young veterans got on the mic and talked about how we're not in the land of the free. We're in the land of the neckbeards. And so here the Forgotten Sons took issue with that. And we're saying basically that they're going to uh, take matters into their own hands against the grizzled young veterans. This felt like the Forgotten Sons might be going babyface. Which will do very little to make me care about them more than I do now. Nice try, though. Nice try. I don't think it's going to work. Keith Lee. He came out. He was interrupted by Kona Reeves, who he immediately pounced. And then he beat him in 10 seconds with his BBC. The Big Bang Catastrophe. Yes, that is really the name that he has given his finish. I say that he has given his finish. I I have to assume that Keith Lee named it and not the company. That uh, they probably don't even realize (laughs) the name of the move represents. But yes, Keith Lee has been very successful with his uh, BBC on TV so far. Dominic Dijakovic, he came out. He just can't quit Keith Lee. He says, I'm not done with you. He goes, I had you beat in Portland. My back gave out on me. And Lee said, look, you know, if you want another match, if you can get it approved by William Regal, and the fans started chanting, fight forever, and he pointed to the crowd. He said, then you and I, we can fight forever. And he walked out. And I love watching Keith Lee and Dijakovic against each other. I love their match at TakeOver. I have yet to dislike any of the matches they've had. Even I'm at the point where it's like, you know what? Maybe take a break on that. Maybe take a break, give somebody else a shot. That probably would be a wise move. Uh, I'm guessing they're just building to a match in a week or two on NXT to get some, you know, a TV match out of it to kill time until Lee moves on to his next challenger. And who that might be, I will get to that in a second. 
Uh, Chelsea Green picked up a win over Caden Carter in a match that was not very good at all. Uh, in the middle of the match, Bianca Belair walked into the ring, just, you know, middle of the match, walked into the ring, had a microphone in her hand, and she cut a promo on Charlotte Flair. Charlotte beat her up a little bit when Charlotte left the ring at TakeOver last week. She happened to see Bianca was there, and she kicked her or threw her into the steps, whatever it was. Bianca didn't like that very much, and Bianca says that, Charlotte, I'm going to whoop that ass. And she left. And the match resumed. Now, why this had to happen in the middle of this match, I have no idea. Robert Stone tripped up Caden Carter behind the referee's back. And Chelsea hit a, what basically was a reverse unprettier. I guess you would call it the the prettier, since that's the reverse one. I think it's also possible that Caden just took the bump wrong. She took the move wrong and... I don't know. I mean, it looked like a regular net breaker. I'm not sure why it's supposed to look devastating. This match was no good. No good, this match was. It has since been announced that Charlotte is going to be coming to full sale this Wednesday for a match against Bianca Belair. So expect some uh, big promotion for that on Raw tomorrow night. They're going to want people tuning in to see Charlotte wrestling at full sale for the first time in, I'm guessing, what, five years probably? When, when did she and Sasha and Becky and them get called up? I think Becky and Sasha and Charlotte, I want to say, were called up in the summer of 2015. And then Bailey, I think, was called up the year after when she uh, debuted as uh, Sasha's partner in a match on TV, if I remember correctly. Actually, it might have been Bailey debuting as Sasha's mystery partner against Charlotte and Dana Brooke, if my memory is... My memory is not as good on recent stuff as it is things from years ago, but I think I got that right. I just don't remember the uh, the name of the pay-per-view, but I think it was like June or July of 2016. Anyway, that's not even the point. The uh, Velveteen Dream picked up the win over Roderick Strong with the Dream Valley driver as they were clearly running out of time. You could see them rushing to get to the finish. And Undisputed Era beat up Dream and left him laying to end the show. Uh, kind of a lackluster ending. I wanted to bring this up. Ben, from Melbourne, Australia, sent in a mailbag uh, question or a letter, whatever you want to call it. He emailed me. He said he's been meaning to email this to me for years. But he just thought of it recently. I'm going to email Solomonster. But just to confirm what I have previously speculated here on the podcast... He said in 2016, NXT had an Australian tour, and he and his friend know somebody who works for WWE. Uh, I am withholding their name here. He has he, he mentioned them in the email, but I'm not going to say the name. I'm withholding their name here because it just doesn't need to be public. But they were invited by this person to an after party one night, and they got photos with a lot of the talent. And in the course of the evening, this person, you know, mentioned to them that Finn Balor was not originally meant to win the NXT championship at that Beast in the East network special that WWE aired a number of years ago. And in fact, it was, as I have always assumed, supposed to be Hideo Itami. It was supposed to be Kenta beating Kevin Owens to win the championship. That was before Kenta got hurt a couple months earlier. He got the, the shoulder injury. He had to go have surgery. Uh, So Balor was the next logical choice because he had a history in Japan. People knew him there. People liked him. They loved him. So there you have it. So there you have it. And Balor went on to become the longest reigning NXT champion of all time. 
292 days. Adam Cole, right now, is around 260-ish. Not in terms of weight, in terms of his title rate. He's definitely not 260. If Adam Cole was 260 pounds, he'd already be on the main roster. He'd, he'd be headlined at WrestleMania in the next two years. He's got everything else but size. If he was 260, believe me, Vince would fall in love with him. But Adam Cole right now is around 260-ish in terms of the number of days that he has had as the NXT champion. I believe uh, the date is March 20th. If he can make it to March 20th, uninterrupted, as the NXT champion, he will break the record and he will move into the top spot as the longest reigning champion in NXT history. That's two weeks before WrestleMania. So barring any injury, like what happened last year to Tommaso Ciampa, Adam Cole will soon become the longest reigning champion of all time in NXT. They need to have him defend that title on that March 18th episode of NXT. It is a must. It is booking malpractice if they do not promote an NXT championship match on that March 18th episode of NXT and draw attention to the fact that he's only two days away from breaking the record and have him go on TV starting this week and start gloating about how he's only a few weeks away from breaking the record. But William Regal signs a championship defense on the March 18th episode for dramatic purposes. Last chance for somebody to stop him before he breaks the record. And what better person to put him in the ring with on that March 18th episode for the title than the man whose record he is about to break, Finn Balor. Balor, there was a video with Balor on TV this week. He was teasing something for the show coming up this Wednesday. It should be him coming out and either attacking Adam Cole or issuing a challenge. There should be a segment. There should be a face-to-face with Balor and Cole, and this should be the storyline. Cole is about to break his record. Balor says, I won't let you. And they sign that title match for the March 18th episode. Balor just beat Johnny Gargano. He may wind up facing Keith Lee for the North American title at TakeOver, but why not put him in there with Cole first? You know, maybe they start something with him and Lee uh, beforehand in the next few weeks. And maybe Keith Lee factors into the finish and costs uh, Finn Balor the match on the 18th. Then Cole retains. He moves into the top spot. That adds fuel to the fire for something between Balor and Keith Lee for Tampa. So then your top three matches for TakeOver are all set. You've got Adam Cole defending the NXT Championship, let's say, uh, against Velveteen Dream. Balor challenging Keith Lee for the North American title. And Johnny Gargano against Tommaso Ciampa with some kind of stipulation so they can finally end this. Why not first Hell in a Cell match in NXT history? Try to restore some value to the Hell in a Cell stipulation after the main roster has all but ruined it these past couple of years. I mean, Sasha and Bayley had an excellent Hell in a Cell match last year, but the men's championship matches, the main events each of the last two years, have practically rendered that stipulation meaningless. It has turned Hell in a Cell into a joke. Restore some value to it. Gargano and Ciampa, it's a blood feud. It's been going on for years. It has to come to an end. You can't drag this on much longer. They've got to move on. This is what Hell in a Cell was made for. It was made to blow off a feud like this. 
So that's your trio of top matches right there for Tampa. Book it. NWA Power took a one-week hiatus. It is going to be back in its normal slot, 6.05 this Tuesday. In its place, we had the premiere of their new show they call The Circle Squared. And the idea is you have The Circle, which in the studio is where the interviews take place. The Square is where the ring is. That's where the action, that's where the wrestling takes place. Hence, The Circle Squared. The concept of the show is to basically take talent that has not been signed to a contract uh, and they have to cut promos or cut a promo and then wrestle. And the fans will then have the opportunity to vote on who they think should be signed ultimately to an NWA contract. And I believe when this show, when this competition is over, I don't know how long it's going to last, but when it's over, uh, they will sign someone or some team or somebody to an NWA contract. And so that is the idea behind the show. Uh, Here they had Kyle Davis as one of the announcers for the NWA. And he brought out the first batch of competitors. This week it was a tag team match. So we had a father-son tag team. Luke Hawks, which is a name you might recognize from the indie scene. And his son PJ. PJ is the kid who jumped off the balcony in that mall during a match that went viral a few weeks ago. I don't know what mall it was or where they were exactly, but he climbed out onto the ledge, you know, one or two stories up and did this huge dive and it looked great. It was insanely stupid, but he got a lot of attention for it, which I guess was the whole point. And it went viral and it took off. So PJ is the guy who uh, did the balcony dive. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And so we, we got to see them cut a promo at first. You know, PJ was very, look, he, he looks like he's uh, 16 years old. <laughs> I don't know how old he is. I actually didn't look up his age. Uh, he looks like a kid. He looks like a kid. And, uh, his father's cutting a promo and talking about how we're the ABCs and the XYZs. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> but the idea is we're the ABCs and the XYZs of wrestling. Meaning, you know, we, we start things and then we finish things. It's a little, it's a little wonky here. This, this promo. Then out comes Nikita Koloff. He wasn't promoting his uh, church this week. He came out, though, and he was uh, talking about this new team that he's been coaching, and he brings them out, and he introduces us to Jeff Lewis Neal and Tyson Dean. I've never heard these guys before. I've never seen them before. But I will say this, more so than Luke and PJ, they came out, and immediately you look at these two guys, big guys, and you think these two guys look like pro wrestlers. (laughs) 
they look like a team you would see in the NWA 30 years ago. And not for nothing, I thought their promo was very, very dry. It was very bland. There's really not much to it. But uh, I think it was Jeff Lewis Neal was the one who who really did the talking. And uh, he's got a good voice on him. And, you know, cut a typical wrestling promo, standard stuff. And then we had the match. And the match really wasn't anything special. It was a short match. Maybe it went three or four minutes. And the father and son team got the win in the end. And they celebrated. And the other feature of this show... And I saw a lot of divided opinion. I saw people who thought it was a clever concept. I saw a lot of hate for it. People who thought, no, it ruins the show. Get rid of it. Um, th- th- what they've done is they will interview, not even interview, but they will have fans and podcasters and YouTube personalities basically do live commentary and will kind of shoot themselves on video watching the show and reacting to what's going on in real time. And they will splice footage of these podcasters and YouTube personalities into the show. The show itself is only about 20 to 25 minutes long. It's not It's not even a full half an hour. It's not very long at all. But they will splice in the footage of, of these... Uh, and by the way, I love that. I love the fact that it's 20 minutes or 22 minutes, whatever it was. Some people were complaining about that. What's the complaint about you don't get enough wrestling as it is in the course of a week? You're going to complain that it's only 20 minutes? Thank God it's only 20 minutes. I don't think I could tolerate more than that. I've, I've reached my quota of wrestling. I think the length is perfect. And it might fluctuate. Maybe next week it's 30 minutes. Another week it's 35 minutes. Another week it's 18 minutes. It, it could fluctuate. I have no problem with the length. Less is more. There's way too much wrestling as it is. I don't need another hour or two of wrestling. 20 minutes is fine. So I have no issue with the length. I will say that there were times as I was watching it where I thought the the clips being spliced in of the podcasters and everything uh, felt a little too disruptive. So it's one of these things where they'll probably take feedback from people and, and they'll work out the kinks and I'm sure they'll they'll take everyone's suggestions into account. Maybe they'll get rid of it. Maybe they won't. I can understand why they do it though. Because they want to make the show feel interactive. It is interactive. The fans are voting in the end on who they want to get signed to an NWA contract. So you've got fan voting. It's obviously an interactive show. You want fan feedback. But the smart thing and the reason I'm sure why they're doing it this way is because you're getting these podcasters and you're getting these YouTube personalities who are basically giving them free coverage. And they're going to talk about the show and they've got to somehow promote the show somehow. What better way than to go to the people, because this is the audience that's going to watch. You're not going to draw casuals in. You're going to draw in hardcore wrestling fans who are going to watch this. So it's smart to go to YouTube people and go to podcasters and say, hey, maybe you could talk about this and you can react to it and we'll splice in footage. So I I get it. I think it's smart, but I did see a lot of divided opinion. Uh, Some people liked it. A lot of people didn't. Uh, On the whole, though, I think the concept is, is clever. Um, I wasn't overly impressed, you know, by, uh, like the match or the promos or anything. I thought it was fine. There may be other weeks where we get more experienced people who cut an amazing promo or who go in there and in the three or four minutes they have in the ring, they kind of wow the audience and have people standing on their feet and cheering. It's all about making a connection with the audience. You know, the father and son duo, it's an easy thing to root for. So of course, you know, Luke Hawks and PJ Hawks, they were, the big baby faces here on this show. My guess is they'll probably be the ones moving on. 
in the fan voting. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. You might get some people on the show who are a little rough around the edges because they've not really done this before on a on this level. Maybe they're nervous. It's basically like a reality competition. It's basically what it is. They're auditioning for a job. So anyway, that was the debut episode. Uh, I think, you know, you could check it out for yourself. Get a feel for what you uh, think of it. And uh, I don't know when the new... I should check and see when the new episodes are going to air. This one aired in the power slot. Power is back this week, so I don't know when the next episode is or what what day of the week it is. But if you go to NationalWrestlingAlliance.com or follow NWA on Twitter, I'm sure they'll have more information on it uh, on their channel. Sean Mooney also announced that the 2020 Crockett Cup is going to be taking place on April 19th at the Gateway Center in College Park, Georgia. So we now have a date for the Crockett Cup. And that will also be the NWA Championship match with Nick Aldis defending against Marty Skrull. The rematch will be taking place on that date as well. It's time for this week's RSPW Rewind. That clown music you hear in the background during these segments, which you'll hear a little bit later, has never been more appropriate than it is this week. For all of the fun television that came out of the Attitude Era, there was also a lot of bad television and bad gimmicks. And one such gimmick that stands out is Beaver Cleavage. Beaver Cleavage was meant to be a takeoff on the old Leave it to Beaver TV show from the 1950s. Of course, during the Attitude Era especially, Beaver had a very different meaning than it did back when Leave It to Beaver was on the air. Jim Cornette was also yelling at them in production meetings. But anyway, uh, when Thrasher of the Headbangers went down with a knee injury, they needed something for Mosh to do. And Beaver Cleavage was their great idea. They dressed him up like Beaver Cleaver. The idea actually came from Years of Jerry Briscoe ribbing uh, Chaz, call him by his uh, real name here, for looking like Beaver Cleaver, you know, in his very first passport photo. And then after a while, uh, with Russo, it morphed into what we saw on TV. Mariana was a Canadian bodybuilder. She was a Canadian fitness model. They brought in, sound familiar? She was Trish Stratus before Trish came along. She just never had the same success that Trish went on to have. But they brought her in to play uh, Beaver's mother, and there were incestuous overtones in the dialogue between them. He would, you know, be eating dry cereal, and then she would offer him some of her mother's milk. Wink, wink. Stuff like that. Beaver himself said, uh, Jesus Christ, I, I can't call him Beaver with a straight face. Chaz. His name is Chaz. Chaz has said in interviews that they wanted to start insinuating that he was having sex with his mother, basically. That's where the angle was headed before it got dropped. There's been no less than three times over the years that Vince McMahon has wanted to do an incest angle on his television show. This was the first, and then, uh, I believe this was the first. There there was something with Shamrock and, uh, Ken Shamrock and and, uh, his his fake sister, Ryan Shamrock. I don't know if that ever rose to the level of them wanting to do an incest angle, but I've heard stories about that as well. But this might have been the first time. And then later on, his own daughter, Stephanie. She has admitted 
on WWE programming on one of the DVDs. She admitted that when she was pregnant the first time with her first child, her father wanted to do an angle where it would be revealed that the child that she was carrying was his. And when everybody said, you're out of your fucking mind, we're not doing that. His alternate idea, his backup plan, was for it to be revealed that her brother, Shane, was the father of her child. (laughs) Thankfully, that didn't happen either. Then years later, if you remember, they brought in uh, Katie Lee Burchell as the valet for her brother, Pirate Paul Burchell, with the idea of doing an incest angle involving the two of them. But this was around the time the WWE uh, suddenly went all PG. All PG programming, and then it got dropped. Katie Lee Burchell has done interviews, or uh, Katarina, I guess her name is. She's done interviews saying that she was actually disappointed that they didn't go through with it. And she says the idea that, you know, they would have treated it with respect. They were going to treat the angle with respect. A respectful incest angle on WWE television. There is no such thing. (laughs) That doesn't exist. So thankfully that never happened either. The sad part is, here's the sad part. The sad part is we can laugh at Vince McMahon's obsession with this, but he told Playboy magazine many years ago that he was molested by his mother as a child. Or at least he he hinted at it. He didn't deny it when the author pressed him on it. He was basically saying, you know, there was this this was happening in the home and it wasn't with the male. So leave it to your imagination. You know, (laughs) there's only one other option in that case of who it was. And I think he said basically the same thing he did an interview many years ago on uh, Howard Stern and basically said the same thing. And Howard asked him, hey, have you gone to therapy? And Vince said no. So when we talk about what a weird guy Vince McMahon comes across as and the stories that people tell about him that have worked with him before, the things he does, the things he goes on TV and says, uh, even when he's not playing a character, even when he's not Mr. McMahon, it's not surprising to learn that he had such a messed up childhood. It's 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 pretty messed up that this is the end result. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of his quirks and a lot of his uh, not so finer qualities, you know, could very well be chalked up in part to him having such a fucked up childhood. But anyway, uh, he had one match. Chaz did in the Beaver Cleavage gimmick. It was a win over Christian. Two days after Owen Hart fell to his death. And between Owen's death and the sudden increased scrutiny that that whole situation brought on the company. And then Sable filed a $100 million sexual harassment lawsuit against the company like a week later. The gimmick was quickly dropped. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. By the way, in that lawsuit, Sable alleged, among other things, that the company wanted her to do a lesbian storyline that she was not comfortable with. Fast forward three or four years later, Sable's back on TV in WWE on SmackDown doing a lesbian angle with Tori Wilson. (laughs) Or at least it was one segment. I definitely remember a segment where they kissed in the ring. But anyway. Uh, But I don't know why I find that funny. She sued the company, among other things, because, oh, lesbian storyline. And then three years later, she's doing a lesbian-type storyline. Anyway. So they dropped it. And they had Chaz come out on TV. How they did this was, he came out on TV and he cut a work shoot promo about how stupid the gimmick was, and instead he admitted that Mariana was not his mother, but she was his girlfriend. And later on on TV, Chaz dumped her, and they did a domestic violence storyline where she would show up with a black eye one lip, and she'd show up with a fat lip another week, and bruises on her face, insinuating that Chaz beat her up. And when she tried to have him arrested one week, Thrasher returned, and he made the save, and he showed footage that proved that she made the whole thing up. And then she was never seen again after that. And unfortunately, uh, in real life, Mariana passed away a few years... I think it was only a few years later. It was probably only three or four years later she died uh, from breast cancer. And she was only in her mid-30s. Which brings us to RSPW. And what the fine folks there were saying about Beaver Cleavage at the time. April 27th. 1999, Danger 3210, with a post titled, Beaver Cleavage, I Couldn't Stop Laughing. I don't know, the whole thing just seemed very funny to me. I laughed throughout the entire segment. Will this get Mosh in the spotlight? Whenever they make coming soon movies for a wrestler, they are trying to push the wrestler. Sometimes it works, like Val Venus. Sometimes it fails miserably. Remember those real man's man videos? Oh, I do. Oh, I've got a whole RSPW segment planned on that. Don't you worry, Danger 3210. If you're still out there, 21 years later, if you're listening. I do hear from people from time to time, by the way. If, you, if I've gotten questions. Hey, do you ever hear from anybody who heard their post read in one of your RSPW segments here 25 years later? The answer is yes. And in a lot of cases, they're not very happy with me. In fact, I got, a, I got what was basically a death threat from one person who was very upset that I used his post. I don't even think he posted anything really uh, terrible. It was not like I'm uh, trying to make him look bad. But yeah, some of the uh, RSPW creatures do crawl out of their holes from time to time. Uh, WHG says, I wonder if Beaver Cleaver will be skipping down to the ring when he makes his debut. I miss the headbangers as tag team champions of the universe, but I think Masha's new gimmick as Beaver Cleaver will be a winner for them. Glenn says, I thought that was a dead angle, but after seeing the promo tonight, I'm so friggin' ready for his debut. I hope he brings his mommy with him. Rob Brownstein says, then he can feud with Jeff Jarrett and his mother, Deborah. I would mark out if on one raw, Deborah McMichael walked to the announcer's table at ringside and threw down a pair of silicon breast implants right in front of Jerry Lawler. So you want puppies king, do you? Well, here are your goddamn puppies. 
Well, that's kind of disturbing. May 31st, 1999, a post by Hardcore Hack, a uh, frequent, a frequent commenter here in RSPW, and not very well liked. I don't think Hardcore Hack had very many friends. Post titled, Beave Cleavage is the Stupidest Gimmick Today. I thought the days of Doink the Clown, Plumbers, Hockey Players, 123 Kid in a Diaper, etc. were gone. But here Vince goes again with his circus act. This beaver cleavage gimmick makes me embarrassed to be a wrestling fan. WWF fans claim how cutting edge the promotion is, but the beave just shows you how childish they are and always will be. Don Carpenter. Looks like Hardcore Hack is not a fan of the beaver. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Don Carpenter says, Fuck you, Hack. Am I the only person that laughed at this gimmick? The idea is that it's supposed to be stupid. And Mrs. Cleavage looks ring-ready with the shape that she is in. Hapjack says, I will take Beaver Cleavage over Kurt Hennig's singing any day. Hey, Kurt Hennig, think about that rap is crap gimmick in WCW. That's the gimmick that Kurt Hennig always wanted. He always wanted to be a cowboy. I remember reading that years ago. If it was the Observer or the Torch or what it was. But that was what he wanted to be. He, he was he he more identified with that gimmick than he ever did Mr. Perfect. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, if you think about where he grew up, apparently he was a big country music fan. You would never know it by looking at Mr. Perfect, like in the original Mr. Perfect gimmick. But no, he wanted to be more like a cowboy. Which is kind of funny, because when Bret Hart started, he was a cowboy. He's cowboy Bret Hart. And then they quickly changed that. A lot of cowboys in wrestling. We got a cowboy now. Cowboy James Storm, right? He's in the NWA. Hangman Adam Page. I mean, he's got horses in his entrance video. He rode a horse to the ring once on an AEW pay-per-view. Anyway, NEC Fort nailed it with this comment. Said both promotions sporadically come up with lame and ridiculous gimmicks. Usually they don't last very long, i.e. Barry Darso's golfer gimmick and the leprechaun. Beaver cleavage is just another example of a bad idea that may have sounded fun in the booking room. It's a one-joke act, albeit a sick one. Cleavage will be repackaged into another personality within six months. Little did he know it uh, it would be less than 30 days before he was repackaged into a new gimmick. Tank did not like Hardcore Hack's original post, but for a very different reason. If you aren't a child, then you put words together in a sentence like one. Your choice of words and how you put them together in a sentence shows that you are just a kid, or just have the intelligence of one. WWF fans claim how cutting-edge the promotion is, is not a proper sentence. Stay late with your teacher, and maybe he can help. We've got a grammar Nazi here in uh, RSPW. Vince Green says, Come on, dude, you can't be serious. You cite the plumbers and clowns, but beat these jackass. How about Lasertron, New Breed from the Future, Dungeon of Doom, Robocop, Chucky, Conan, and El Hijo de Conan, Gangsters from the Hood. All these folks appeared in WCW, and all of them were worse than Beaver. Beeves supposed to be stupid and kind of lame, but WCW honestly believes that the cool kids are still into the oh-so-1997 gangsta-type rap and the gear I would have worn three years ago. When in all honesty, 
they look lame. In closing, when it comes to stupidity, nobody beats WCW. Nobody. It's like The Wiz. Nobody beats The Wiz. Is that a New York thing? That might just be a New York... People have no idea what I'm talking about now. Although I do believe they incorporated that into an episode of uh, Seinfeld, right? There used to be an electronic store here in New York called Nobody Beats the Wiz. That was the name of the store. It's probably been gone for like 15 years now. But they used to have these commercials. Nobody Beats the Wiz. Nobody. Still remember that. That and those uh, Crazy Eddie commercials. Then Crazy Eddie went to jail. June 2nd, 1999. Rock Boy asks, Anyone read the new Beaver Cleavage bio on WWF.com? Along with Mrs. Cleavage, and, and he, this is the bio apparently the WWE put together for him. It says, Along with Mrs. Cleavage, Harry Beaver Cleavage has arrived in the World Wrestling Federation and is looking to rack up victories. In an era of attitude, the Beave is a throwback to times gone by. In fact, when one of Beaver's opponents gives him attitude, that foe will soon get quite the verbal tongue lashing from Mrs. Cleavage who looks just as young as the day that she had her little bundle of joy. The Beave is no boob when it comes to in-ring ability. He's a mat technician that can also take it to the air. With that combination, it's clear that Harry Beaver Cleavage will snatch more than a few victories here in the WWF. June 20th, 1999, John Burton says, WWF already dropping the Beaver Cleavage angle. So this is showing you the very quick progression of how things just completely went downhill in the span of like a month. He says, unlike Bitch Off, Vince will drop a stupid angle that nobody seems to like. No one was happier to hear this news than our friend Hardcore Hack, who had this to say to the news that the angle was being dropped. Said WWF has reportedly realized how stupid the Beaver Cleavage angle is. According to Dave Scherer on OneWrestling.com, the WWF realized that they would get too much heat with the cleavage angle. Why WWF has an infatuation with doing an incest angle is beyond me. Uh, Another stupid angle failing by the brainchild of Vince McMahon. And June 23rd, 1999... Mkist99 wants to know what happened with Beaver on Raw. On Raw, they were about to interview Beaver before his match, but the interview looked like it fell short. Then Jim Ross said that the match with Beaver would not take place. Does anybody have any idea what happened? I'm not saying I wanted to see the match. I'm just curious about why they cut the interview short and why they canceled the match. Will Thomason says it was scripted. They used it to get rid of the gimmick. Malik says, I suspect that Chaz Beaver Cleavage Warrington did not like his new gimmick. That's why he said, I can't do this, and walked off. According to the latest Ross report, Beaver Cleavage has been fired. I thought the gimmick was hilarious. G Purcell 21 says, Warrington did not make the decision. It was WWF who decided to give the gimmick the axe when the character did not get the kind of response from the fans that they had hoped. And Clint in a reply from May 25th, 2016, to this thread, very excitedly says, I can't believe I'm replying to something from 1999. Boy, was he happy about that. He was so excited to be replying to a thread 
here from 1999. And a lot of these threads, from what I see, are closed. I don't think you can post comments on them, but I guess he found one that he was able to post a comment on, and it was like stepping into a time capsule for him. So he felt uh, very happy about that. This has been your weekly reminder that one day Vince McMahon will get his incest angle. And if I'm Ric Flair and Charlotte Flair, I'm not answering my phone if I see Vince McMahon's name pop up on my caller ID. I would avoid him at the buildings too if I see him. I would walk the other way. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We have time for a few mailbag questions. You can email me, thesolomonster, at gmail.com. Please direct all emails and questions to thesolomonster at gmail.com and include your name and where you are from when you write in. Chase Pock. From Braintree, Massachusetts. Please talk about Pentagon doing this Cerro Miedo in his matches. For me, it's too much. I didn't count, but he must have said it a dozen times this past week. And after most of them, he gets kicked in the dick or otherwise nailed for turning his attention away from his opponent. Wouldn't it have more impact if it was done once in a match as a high spot? Also, how do you think the Revival would fit into the AEW Tag Team Division? Their style is the polar opposite of the style of this division. I love Pentagon, but he does do the Cerro Miedo thing way too many times during his matches. Every 10 seconds, we hear Cerro Miedo, Cerro Miedo. It's almost as bad as the Monday Night Messiah stuff. You know, it's an easy thing to get the, the fans to chant it, but it's, it's a crutch. I agree. Do it once or twice in a match, no more than that. As far as the revival goes, their style being different than almost every other team in that division in that they don't fly around and do a lot of the flashy stuff and the dives and all that. That's exactly why I'm hoping they leave and go to AEW. I think variety is a good thing. I don't think you, I don't think you want to have a tag team division where every team is small or where every team does flips and dives and all these kind of crazy moves and moonsaults off the top. You've got to have some variety. And that's, that's the revival's whole shtick. No flips, just fists. That's their that's their slogan. That's their catchphrase. That and they have a ready-made rivalry with the Young Bucks that's been brewing for a few years. It's just too bad that Jim Cornette says so much dumb shit because he would be the perfect manager for those two. You know, kind of bring them into AEW and heal on the elite and how he thinks they're all ruining the business. If the hate wasn't so real, it would be a great gimmick and they could all make some money together. And I 100% believe that it's at least partly a gimmick with Cornette. But he is just so 
he's in so deep at this point with all the comments that he's made that there's just no turning back. Sean from Byron, Illinois. I was re-watching the 1997 Royal Rumble in WrestleMania 13 and was wondering what was going on. Stone Cold wins the Rumble but never challenges for the title at WrestleMania and instead has one of the greatest matches of all time against Bret Hart. Why didn't they just make Bret Hart versus Stone Cold the main event for the championship instead of Undertaker against Psycho Sid? Was Stone Cold originally supposed to win the Rumble in 97? I feel like I get a question about this time period from time to time. It is, in a lot of ways, it is a fascinating period to go look back on because there were so many what-ifs, things that should have happened and didn't, and, and you know, back and forth with the top basically four or five names uh, in WWF at the time. But the answer is no. Bret Hart was originally supposed to stand tall and win the Royal Rumble in 97. As the story goes, and and there are different versions of this, I can't tell you with 100% certainty that the version that I believe to be real that I'm going to tell you here is exactly how it went down, but my belief, the story that I've always heard and, and bought into, and the Torch and the Observer covered this, they had similar accounts, actually, in both uh, newsletters at the time. They thought that the finish, they being WWF, thought that the finish of the Rumble was too predictable. Vince Russo at the time was doing his Vic Venom gimmick on Livewire. He was from the magazine and they would have him on. He was this, you know, cocky New York guy and he would come on and talk talk like this, bro. So they had him on Livewire. He predicted on television one week, he predicted that Bret Hart is going to win the Royal Rumble. And apparently that got him some heat and that upset a lot of people who thought that he basically gave the finish away. And so that was part of the reason why they changed it. The final four match in February at the In Your House pay-per-view was originally going to be for the championship. And it was going to have Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Steve Austin, and Psycho Sid. And that got changed to a final four match involving the final four men that were left in the Royal Rumble match after they did that whole controversial finish. Austin was never supposed to headline WrestleMania in any of these scenarios. Steve Austin was never going to headline WrestleMania or challenge for the championship. What has always intrigued me about this is that there were reports that for whatever reason, the decision was made for Sid to beat Shawn Michaels and get back the WWF title on that live Raw show, Thursday Raw Thursday, which I think was in, uh, it wasn't in Boston, it was in Lowell. I think it was in Lowell, Massachusetts. He was going to beat Sean and get the championship back. That was the same show where Sean instead ended up giving this speech about his injury, and he forfeited the title, he lost his smile. Uh, But I guess originally... He was going to drop the belt to sit on that show, and instead they would do Bret Hart against Shawn Michaels non-title as the co-main event of WrestleMania, and instead Undertaker would challenge Sid for the championship on top. If that's the case, then the final four match would have had Sid be the one defending, not Shawn. Although Shawn would have been in the match, along with Bret and along with Undertaker. And I have to assume that something would have been done with Brett and Sean in that match to lead to them having their their rematch at WrestleMania. You know, maybe Brett eats the fall in the four-way and that way they protect The Undertaker. 
who was going to go on to win the title of Mania. You don't want him taking the pin. And to avoid Sean taking the fall, since Sean was probably going to end up putting Brett over at Mania, uh, in return for Brett doing the same for him the year before. So maybe they have the final four match and Brett gets pinned and starts up an issue with Sean, and that's how you get there. Uh, but Sean got hurt. He claimed his knee was so bad he might have to retire. So Doctors have said he might not be able to come back. He might have to retire. And so that took him out of the picture. Now, Sean did have knee problems. That's not a lie. Sean Michaels, he might have had a torn meniscus. I forgot the exact injury. He had knee problems. Anyone who wrestled his style was going to end up with knee problems. So he definitely had knee problems. He would wear knee braces from time to time. But were they so bad that he had to give up the title and drop out five weeks before WrestleMania? That's where I have always believed that he was completely full of shit. That he overdramatized it. He was hurt, but he wasn't that hurt. In any event, where would that have left Steve Austin? That's the mystery here. If you have Undertaker occupied with Sid, and Brett is occupied with Sean, if he if he's able to go, then we don't get one of the greatest matches in the history of that company. You know, I've heard reports that you know Austin was going to wrestle the British Bulldog. I've heard that he was going to wrestle Vader. I mean, there weren't very many other options for him on that card outside of uh, like names like Vader and Bulldog. I mean, who else was there? Yeah, but things worked out. Think about it. Things worked out for the better. Brett suffered his own knee injury. He had to have his knee scoped a couple months later. So he was out for a while. They put him in a wheelchair on TV. Had he won the championship as originally planned, I mean, maybe he would have gutted the injury out, but if his knee was it was that bad that he needed surgery, well, that would have been pretty bad if their champion was going to go down, you know, with an injury. So instead, what did it give them? It gave them a f- several extra months to really turn him and, and build him up as a heel and the Hart Foundation thing, all the stuff they were able to do before SummerSlam, and then he won the championship. They built him up as a heel, and then they put the title on him. So the timing worked out until the fall, when they let him sign with WCW, of course. He's their champion. Oh, we'll give you permission to go sign with WCW. We'll let you, we're not going to take the belt off you, but we're going to give you permission to go negotiate with WCW. Yeah, that's that's real bright. That's why I love how people give Bret Hart shit in this scenario. There, there's a little bit of blame to go around when it comes to the Montreal stuff, Bret, Sean, Vince. You know, no, nobody's innocent. But all the people who love to, to shit on Bret Hart, you know, at the end of the day, they allowed their champion to go negotiate with the competition. He would not have been able to do that without Vince McMahon's blessing. And he, he never thought to take the championship off the guy. He didn't even have to put it on him in the first place at SummerSlam. Can't blame Bret Hart for that. You blame Vince McMahon. He's the idiot. He put himself in that position. But no, let's blame Bret Hart for that. It's all his fault. So, yeah, obviously things got a little dicey for them in the fall when that whole uh, Survivor Series situation came about. So, basically what I'm saying is it was great timing until it wasn't. Rabat from Derby, England. Buy or sell on which interviewer you liked more and why when it came to interviewing WWE wrestlers on their show? Michael Landsberg or Howard Stern? 
I thought that was a very interesting buy or sell question. I don't really like Michael Landsberg. He always rubbed me the wrong way. There was just something about the guy I just did not like. But I will give the devil his due. He was more knowledgeable about wrestling. Or at least he did his homework more on the subject than uh, Stern did. Stern would ask more like broad questions. I don't think Howard gave a shit about... Let me ask him questions about his wrestling career. He doesn't watch wrestling. Why would he care? He would ask more broad questions about their career, get into the personal stuff, like he did with Vince and Stephanie. He had Vince McMahon and Stephanie McMahon in separate interviews on his show. He got Stephanie to admit that she would love to experiment with anal sex. (laughs) And and, And to get her to admit that she tried bondage once, but it didn't work out. She didn't like it. I mean, come on. If those are the burning questions that you want answers to, then hey, Howard was your guy. But from what I've heard, his show today is very different now than it was back then. The thing about Stern, I have to say this about Howard Stern. Whether you like the guy and you've listened to his show over the years, or if you thought he was this disgusting, vile pig of a person, he is the best interviewer that I have ever heard as far as getting information out of people that nobody else would be able to get. He can make a person so uncomfortable, you know, in one moment, and then 20 minutes later, they're so relaxed, they're telling him their life story. It's incredible. He just has a knack for it. There is no one better than Howard at getting more out of people. They should have sent him to Guantanamo Bay to interview prisoners. They'd spill their guts. So to answer your question... I would buy on Landsberg for his wrestling interviews, but as an interviewer in general, strong buy on Howard and sell on Landsberg. One of the funnier things, by the way, about that Stephanie interview that I remember, it was so long ago, probably 2002, 2003. This was during the Ruthless Aggression stuff on TV. Ruthless Aggression, Stephanie. She was she was something else. Uh, but I watched years later I, is when I saw the interview. It was on YouTube. It might still be. But the funny thing is that I'm watching this and Dave Chappelle, it's like he's just there. He's sitting there on the couch right next to her. I don't know if he interviewed Chappelle first. My guess is he, he brought in Chappelle, interviewed him, and then he just stayed when Stephanie came and they kind of turned to her interview and he just stayed there. But it's just so wild to be watching this. And then there's Dave Chappelle sitting right next to Stephanie McMahon on the couch. And there's Stephanie talking about the stuff that she's talking about. What a combo. Dave Chappelle and Stephanie McMahon. That's a good way to end the show this week. Again, email me your questions, thesolemonster at gmail.com. I try to get to as many of them as I can. I can't always uh, get to them uh, in a timely fashion, but I do see everything you guys send to me. Follow me on Twitter, at Solomonster. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel because I'm going live three times in four days this week. There's a lot of content coming this week to the channel. Uh, I'll be going live after Dynamite Wednesday night and doing my revolution predictions as well. Thursday, Sweet Saudi Money 5, going live Thursday afternoon. And then Saturday night when AEW Revolution is over, I'll go live on YouTube. We'll talk about the pay-per-view. I'll be back with episode 641 of the show next Sunday. you got a lot of sound off coming your way. I hope you are clearing your calendars and making time for it. I hope you guys appreciate this. we got a lot of content coming down the pipe here. Until then, be well, stay safe, have yourselves a great week, and uh, I will see you for all the uh, festivities starting on Wednesday. Take care, guys. 
The Sala Monster sounds off. Hello. Morrison versus Alan Call. Morrison versus Ben Balor. Morrison versus Tommaso Ciampa. Morrison versus Nikita. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Were you Tommaso drinking during the pay-per-view tonight? Uh, <laughs> I was. Okay, I thought so. See, I thought so. Okay. The Sala Monster sounds off. Available wherever you hear podcasts, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and now Pandora. Want more content? Visit YouTube.com slash The Sala Monster for sound off extras and more. And follow The Sala Monster on Twitter at Sala Monster. Put that cigarette out. Sala Monster sounds off. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.